website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com download download our app on iOS WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network a rainy day here in New York as the Yankee game is postponed until tomorrow at one o'clock Speedy Petey what is up well I'm wondering if Kenny was at the Padres Dodgers game yesterday because there was a goose on the field and it wouldn't be surprising if Kenny was hiding in the crowd maybe we could, <laughs> could maybe you he, imagine that? maybe he called from LA last show and never it. never realized I have doubted that since I heard that story. But, um, and some people think it's a duck. But. Well, at least uh, San Diego ties the series. Yes. It is 1-1 going back to San Diego. If you're a ch- – uh, I was about to say Charger. If you're the no, Padres – No, they don't exist. Chargers fans don't exist. If you're a Padres fan, ladies and gentlemen, you should be very excited as the Dodgers are the favorite to come out of that uh, divisional game or uh, series. But uh, I believe it's going to come down to the wire as today – uh, there was only one game on the uh, on the list of baseball games because the Yankees game was canceled. Uh, you had Houston and the Seattle Mariners, and now it is two nothing Houston. So it looks like Houston is going to make this a pretty easy divisional series as they head back to Seattle. Uh, you know, and the Yankees have a chance too tomorrow. Uh, as they are going to be playing Cleveland at 1 o'clock. They are playing one of the better pitchers in baseball in Bieber. We, it's not Justin Bieber. so uh, <laughs> Thankfully. But, uh, we will see Bieber on the mound tomorrow against our friend Nestor, Easy Nestor, or one you want to call him, Nasty Nestor Cortez Jr. So he will be on the mound for the New York Yankers. Yank- Yankers. Yankees tomorrow. I- I'm all over the place today. Uh, I've been driving in this weather really since the rain started. It's been absolutely terrible since it started. So uh, I've been running around getting ready for the show, but I'm happy to be here. Speedy, what's up, man? Yep, I, I've been uh, working all day. I'm hoping sites didn't. I'm hoping sites would finally work, but we're able to battle through and do with the things for this network. And now watching some ugly, ugly football and doing this show. Well, we've been watching ugly, ugly Thursday night football for the last two weeks. I mean, there has not been a touchdown in two weeks already. Mm -hmm. You're talking about right now in about five quarters of football, not one touchdown. This is the NFL, and there hasn't been one touchdown in five quarters. It's it's absolutely ridiculous right now. There's nothing to brag about right now with this product the NFL is putting on on Thursday night. And And by the way, fantasy points with Terry McLaurin. (laughs) Amazon is. Racking up the money, as we all know. I don't know about racking up the money, but they're 
uh, giving the money to the NFL and handing it to them on a silver platter. Hopefully Jeff Bezos has a bigger role in that and ends up uh, owning the Washington Commanders soon. (laughs) Well, that and Ron Rivera might be looking for a job at the end of the season. Yep. I mean, honestly, is Carlson Wentz having one of those superstar seasons? No. But is Carlson Wentz that bad? I, 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 we were talking about this yesterday with the beef. Mm-hmm. Carlson Wentz, to me, numbers-wise, is the top 15 quarterback in the NFL right now. Yep. For Ron Rivera to take shots at him when his offensive line is absolutely putrid, yeah. it's just despicable. It really is. And I, it's nothing to brag about. And to say this, this defense, which is really, from top to bottom, one of the better young defensive teams in the NFL, looking as bad as they have in the last two or three weeks, um, and has a lot to do with your coaching, Ron. So don't uh-huh. be taking shots at your quarterback because, I don't know, he's not putting up uh, Tom Brady numbers right now. Who Tom Brady is not even putting up Tom Brady numbers because he's getting in the process of having a divorce. So Ron Rivera and uh, and Jack Del Rio will be looking for new jobs. Our, our guest is not going to want to hear that because Jack Del Rio was his head coach when he played in the NFL back in the day, 2007 to 2013. And, yes, uh, at 930 we'll be talking to former Jaguars guard Uche Waniri. So he will be joining us. Uh, he was listening to the show about a week ago with his uh, pal uh, Stewart. Yep. And uh, Stu obviously was speaking to him and probably told him, you should come on this show. This is a fun show to be on. And uh, he will be joining us at 930. We're very excited to have a new and an ex-NFL player and a new guest on our show. So happy to have him. So Uche Waniri will be joining us in a little while. Uh, we will get into Dan Schneider claiming dirt on the NFL owner uh, owners and Roger Goodell over the violations in the deal with Goodell. Uh, so obviously this Carson Wentz move at the in the offseason was one of those moves that prob- possibly kept Dan Schneider his job and really owner of this team. He's not the owner of this team. It's his wife. But he st- his family still owns this team. Mm-hmm. Possibly because of that deal. so It was a violation of power, technically, for what he's allowed to do. Whatever it is. I, I, I don't know if it's so important. And I, I Was it really that bad of a deal? I mean, Carson Wentz, who was available, I mean, he was the best quarterba- quarterback available uh, besides without trade, uh, obviously, Russell Wilson. And by the way, Carson Wentz is having a better year than Russell Wilson is. <laughs> I think a so, lot of quarterbacks are having better years than Russell Wilson is. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. It's not, it's not even a joke. I, I, to to see and attack what obviously Ron Rivera has attacked in Carson Wentz's manhood and his quarterback play. I mean, I feel bad for Carson Wentz because over the last, I would say, two years, uh, he's been traded to two separate teams. Uh, he was with Indianapolis last year. I, I mean, he had a pretty good season. At the end of the season, he kind of choked, but that's not his fault. The whole team choked. It wasn't just the quarterback. The offensive line wasn't healthy at the end of the season. They were fighting with injuries. Look at the offensive line this year for Indianapolis. Yeah. One of the better offensive lines going into the season has become mediocre to be at best. So um, that says a lot about the team and where Frank Wright is as far as coaching that team. But nevertheless, I, I mean – to to trade to pretty much trade away Carson Wentz, who what had twenty seven touchdowns last year and only 
what, seven interceptions. Seven yeah. interceptions. That's a pretty good year. Twenty more touchdowns than interceptions. He threw over thirty. I would say thirty-eight hundred yards or close to four thousand yards. Yeah, it he was had, thirty-five something. Whatever. Uh, he had. <laughs> he had a good year. Mm-hmm. And they traded him away because maybe some of the players didn't like him. I don't know what was going on in the locker room. And, and by the way, when uh, the Indianapolis Colts was on hard knocks, Frank Wright in the beginning of the show was talking about how great it is to bring in a guy that he wanted when he was uh, offensive coordinator for the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. He was one of the reasons why the Eagles moved up to get him. And then all of a sudden you trade him away after one year after having the year that he had. That was not his fault. And are you seeing it wasn't Carson Wentz's fault? But, you know, when you when the team is doing well, you give the quarterback all the credit. When the team is doing bad, you blame it on the quarterback. That's what always happens. Um, Carlos Correa opts out of his twins contract. I'm not surprised. Called it. Yep. And becomes a free agent. So where does he go in the offseason? Uh, there is a New York team that might be looking for somebody of that magnitude. I mean, the Mets have the money. Uh, he's a big bat in the lineup. He's a power bat in the lineup. You could put him between Alonzo and Lindor. He had a, a power right-handed bat in that lineup. I think it makes sense. And you could put him at second base. Uh, you can move Lindor uh, to second base. You could do a lot of different things. And you don't have to trade away any pieces to bring in Carlos Correa. And I know Lindor and him have a good relationship. So don't be surprised if Carlos Correa is a name that the Mets bring up or in the offseason you hear the Mets talking about. Uh, Rumors circulating that Aaron Rodgers is retiring after this season. I I don't believe these rumors. I mean, he took a two-year, $50 million a year contract. It's hard hard to believe he's going to walk away from another $50 million. Unless this is just a putrid year and they don't make the playoffs, which I don't know. Knowing the way Aaron Rodgers is, he might force some kind of petty buyout with the Packers. Um, unless he's taking over for Jeopardy, which could uh-huh. happen. Yep. Um, Devontae Adams charged for, with a misdemeanor should be suspended. Uh, he probably will be suspended for one game. Yeah. The misdemeanor will probably be cut down to a violation. He'll pay off this guy uh, $100,000, $150,000, and he'll go away. I mean, he, he's making a lot of money. I think... Uh, He's not going to see any jail time for a misdemeanor. I think, and obviously, he's an NFL player. He has good lawyers. They'll cut it down. Ben Simmons quotes in saying, Criticism finds me all the time. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Did anybody see that the Nets were uh, doing some kind of like a, a charity event, I think, in Manhattan or Brooklyn? Uh, they were all there and they were all shooting the ball and. Kyrie Irvin was playing around on the court, and they were all dressed up a bit except Kyrie Irvin. And Ben Simmons shot a jump shot, and it was an air ball. <laughs> and it was all over social media. I, I mean. Well, of course. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's becoming a joke. It really is. And, and the fact that his own coach came out and said, hey, you know, it doesn't matter if he can't hit a jump shot, and he's making $36, 37000000 million a year. I mean, it's ridiculous. Absolutely embarrassing. Uh, Draymond Green punches Jordan Poole at a Warriors practice. Uh, we didn't get to talk about that yesterday. We'll get into that a little bit. And week five recap and week six picks. Uh, we will also have our buddy on the show at 11 o'clock, Derek Mountain. Uh, I know a lot of people love Derek. Uh, they, uh, he has a new fan, and you know I'm talking about, Mr. Kenny, uh, <laughs> that absolutely adores him and is a big fan of his. So uh, we will have Derek on the show again, live and in color, uh, as he will be doing and uh, making his picks. Uh, last week, uh, I was 
12 and 4. Derek was 8 and 8, and Speedy was 10 and 6. So I'm pulling away, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pulling away. But you picked the Raiders. That yes, doesn't help. Did. No, but I thought it was. I thought the Raiders were going to start to pick up their game. Obviously, winning a week before that, and I, I, I have no idea what's going on with Darren Waller. And they blew a seventeen. Why is it that Derek Carr all of a sudden they get Devontae Adams? They're not. He's not throwing to Darren Waller for some reason, and that's the reason when we heard that they were talking about trading him in the offseason, then you should have traded him. Why isn't Darren Waller, to me, is a top four tight end in football right now? He is a top four tight end. How many tight ends are better than him? Maybe Kittle? Kelsey? Kittle, Kelsey, Andrews, probably. Andrews, that's it. How are you not throwing him the ball? It doesn't make any sense. And there's no excuses. Maybe that's my excuse to say why they suck. That and Devontae Adams decided not to catch the ball. If I was Darren Waller, I wouldn't want to be on the field either. I'd just collect my money. And he's going to be expecting a big contract at the end of the season, too. I don't know if he signed a contract extension, did he? I don't think so. I don't think so. So there'll be teams lining up for Darren Waller. He's a good player. And uh, one of the better tight ends in the NFL. So why don't we get into it? This is going to be a full football show, basically, We'll get into a little baseball and basketball in the beginning of the show, and then it's all football. And the Yankees game, for all the Yankee fans out there, it will be postponed because of the rain and because of the bad weather. It was a smart move by the MLB. It was a smart move by the Yankees, and it was a very smart move by, obviously, the Cleveland Guardians because they need all the help they can get. So uh, the game will... Uh, begin next uh, tomorrow. I was about to say next week. Tomorrow at one o five Eastern Time. So if you want to know what time the Yankee game starts, it will it will be early afternoon. So get ready, Yankee fans, um, as the Yankees have a chance to uh, go up two nothing against the very young and very talented pitching staff of the Cleveland Indians. Well, I almost said Indians <laughs> Guardians. So there you go. Um, Congratulations to Houston uh, winning game number two. Uh, I was very surprised. Seattle again had another lead. And then, obviously, we've been talking about the Yankees not getting their pitcher. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, in the trade at the trade deadline. Castillo. Castillo. Uh, he pitched very well against uh, the Blue Jays in his first game in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, he played in this game. And in the sixth inning, I think it was, he gave up, I think it was a two-run homer. Two-run homer. uh, Jordan Alvarez again, the walk-off hero of game one, hit it the other way. Would have been the end. He was up for MVP before he got hurt. Yeah, it's it's basically the same thing we were saying about Salvador Perez last year. Salvador Perez had one of the best seasons that nobody knew about because of uh, because of Otani and Vlad. Mm-hmm. Now, this year, the same kind of thing with Alvarez. If it's not Otani and Judge this year, the insane years they're having, it's they can be thought of as any other year in MVP. Yeah, it's, it's really, really crazy. But, again, I, I will say this. For all you fans out there that enjoy playoff baseball, this is the best time. The divisional series is the best time to watch the games. I, I listened to Boomer Esiason today, and he said, you know, I, I don't really watch baseball unless it's my team's in it, which they're not anymore. Oh, thank you. Or um, it goes all the way to the ALCS and the NLCS and the, the, the championship games. But this is the best time because these are the best teams. And, and I, you see how many, 
how many teams really show you how much depth they have on their rosters? And I, I think that what we've seen so far on all these rosters is that the Yankees are a power bat team. They're they're all about power. Anthony Rizzo hitting that two-run home run the other day, and then Bader hitting that home run that tied the game. They're all about power, and, and Cleveland's all about their finesse and power pitching. That's what it is, and you see the strengths of all these teams. We haven't even seen Cleveland's bullpen, which has been one of the better bullpens in the MLB. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe we see that in game number two uh, if they get an early lead against the Yankees. Uh, Aaron Judge hasn't really been hitting the ball, but I, I think that has a lot to do with being and having a week off, and we'll see what he does in game number two now he now that he had game number one and he, he got his slicks at the ball. So um, we will talk more on the weekend crunch about the Yankees and the Cleveland Guardians and, and baseball. Um, other news, uh, Carlos Correa opts out of Twins contract and becomes a free agent. I have been telling you guys this when he signed the two-year – well, it was a two-year – uh, agreement with the Twins. Right. And I, 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 the only reason why he signed that two-year agreement with the Twins is because they gave him the most money for that one year. Nobody was going to give him $30 million. But the Twins did because they thought they were a playoff team. And they kind of fell apart in the second half of the season. They had first place, and then Cleveland took over first place, and, and the Chicago White Sox were complete disgust. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Everybody thought that the Chicago uh, White Sox was the, were the the talent in that division. They have the uh, the best young players in that division, and they completely fell apart. And Tony Larusa, I think, is weighed out as welcome over there yeah. with Chicago. So um, I'm not surprised Carlos Correa opt out of this contract. And again, if I was the New York Mets and I was obviously Cohen, this guy is just all about money. You can add a power bat that you absolutely desperately need now that the DH is in the National League. You can move him to second base. You can move him to short. He can play any infield position. I even think he can play third base. So he's that talented of a glove, uh, you know, in the infield. And he's got the bat. And that's what the Mets need. They need power in the lineup. Why would you go out there? Now, Bell could be available. Bell's older. Right. Correa's 29 years old. You sign Correa five years, six years, you have him five, six years at the you know, prime of his career. Uh, you have arguably the best infield in baseball then. And you could do a lot of different things. You don't have to trade away pieces, which you would have to do or have to, you know, predominantly do if you, if you decide that you want Juan Soto when he becomes available or something like that. I, I, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I had Carlos Correa. He he guarantees you t- between twenty five and thirty home runs every single year. He's going to give you close to hundred RBIs, and that's all. I I've said this: the Mets just need a power, one more power bat in that lineup, and all bullpen help. You decide what you're doing with Jacob Degrom. You can do that. There's no reason to overpay and bring in a guy like Mike Trout, uh, where he's under contract. You have to give away big pieces and in your farm, your farmhand players, and and there's no reason to go after Aaron Judge because he's going to want close to 300 million. And is he really going to leave the Yankees over the Mets? Yeah, I wouldn't see that. So that that's really the baseball conversation today. Uh, we will get into that more on the weekend crunch on Saturday. Um, the basketball stuff. Ben Simmons speaks out in quotes saying criticism finds me all the time. Here's what I'm going to say to Ben Simmons. Why even speak? 
Why even be in the limelight? If you're quiet and you just go out and play your game, nobody gives a crap what you do. Why is it that everything that you do has to be in the limelight? When you're sitting on the bench, you're wearing Louis Vuitton colored shoes and colored sweaters. Why don't you just wear a suit like any normal basketball player does? It doesn't make any sense. Why do you have to be spotted out throughout the the basketball game when a basketball game's going on and you're not on the basketball court? And could you please hit a jump shot? <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing. You're a professional basketball player that makes $36.5 million a year and your coach is sticking up for you because he wants to keep his job and babying you. Doc Rivers didn't do that, and that's why you're out there, you know, you know, attacking him at the practices. Nobody wanted you there with the 76ers, and I believe by the end of this season, nobody's going to want you there with the Brooklyn Nets. No, that's, nobody's going to want you there, especially if you don't show up to anywhere. But he actually showed up to something. A practice at a charity event. Yay! Draymond Green punches Jordan Poole at a Warriors practice. We didn't get into this yesterday because it's just silly. Jordan Poole, ever since he had the season that he had last year, and to me, he was the best, the best six man off the bench all season long. And when Steph Curry was hurt and Clay, Clay Thompson didn't play until the second half, he was the best player for the Warriors. The only reason why the Warriors were as good as they were on paper last year was because of the growth of Jordan Poole. What a steal he was when they drafted him from Michigan. Right, it was Michigan? Yep, had that insane buzzer beater in the he, tournament. I think yeah. he was the 20th or 21st. He was pick. a late first-round pick, like 27 or yeah. something like that. Yeah, something really late. Yeah, he had that insane buzzer beater in the tournament against Houston. It was near near half court in the another, college standards. Another yeah. great draft pick and, and, and spotted by the Golden State Warriors. They are a very good draft drafting team. Uh, they drafted Draymond Green in the second round from Michigan State. It seems like all these Michigan players go over there to Golden State become stars. So um, Jordan Poole became a superstar. He's going to be asking for between $140, $160 million. Draymond Green wants an extension. I don't believe he's going to get one. Hmm. And uh, maybe that's how this fight started on the, on the court. Or maybe just bragging and Jordan Poole saying that he's the best player on that team or the second or third, whatever. Hmm. He I, Last year, he played like the second best player on the team. I, he, he earns that right more than Draymond Green does. Draymond Green, yeah, he's a valuable player to their system, but skill-wise, Jordan Poole <laughs> brings a lot more to the floor than Draymond Green does. Draymond Green brings intensity, maybe some level of leadership. Who knows? He's crazy in his own right, but uh, it doesn't make sense why you would think a leader like Draymond Green would have punch Jordan Poole in the face. It's not like a, a free agent or something that just came over either. It's a guy that's been on your team for three years. You would think you would get used to it by now, but I guess not. Uh, if you're an Islander fan, it's one nothing Florida going into the third period. We're at the second intermission. So we're going into the third period. And this is going to be a problem all season long for the New York Islanders. And by the way, shout out to the New York Rangers that won their first game of the season against Tampa. Uh, three to one, I think it three was. Three to one, yep. Because the Ben and Jad was so close to a hat trick, the empty net shot just hit the side of the net. <laughs> and I think they're up against Minnesota tonight, uh, two to nothing, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not positive. Three to one right now. Three to one. Half, about halfway through the second period. So three to one Rangers uh, on their way to winning game number two 
and and putting them up two to nothing in the Metropolitan Division. So hockey is right there. So it is very very early. I don't expect uh, a lot of different conversation with hockey until ten or eleven games in. But uh, the Rangers are playing good hockey right now, and they're scoring. Uh, by the clip, and and if they continue doing that, it doesn't matter how bad their defense is. And I, I'm not saying their defense is that bad, but they're I, right now they're playing they're playing good hockey. They played two really good teams. They're mm-hmm. Tampa and Minnesota are two teams that made the playoffs last year. So you expect uh, the Rangers the way they're playing to be an elite team in the NHL throughout the season if they can stay healthy. Yeah, so. and they were they were blocking a lot of shots in that game. We'll see if they become more physical. But both young players, Braden Schneider and Zach Jones, looked good in game one, too, and that's a good sign. Please, for the love of God, do not bring another random veteran defenseman that we don't need, a.k.a. Patrick Nemeth. And, I mean, Justin Braun was all right, but still not great, and all the other bad veteran trades they decided to do. All right, Speedy, so... Please explain. Explain. I didn't read this whole story about Dan Schneider. What is going on with this story? I, 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 I've read a little bit about this story, okay? Because you told me this is what we were going to get into tonight. But I don't understand why is it that Dan Schneider, because of this trade with uh, obviously the Indianapolis Colts, made him or Goodell decided to let him keep his position as co-owner of the Washington Commanders. So what he did, what it was, it was a, it was a violation of a clause that was occurring with a deal that Roger Goodell made with owners and with Dan Snyder to keep Dan Snyder as the owner of the Commanders. Uh, obviously, the con- all the controversy with all the disgusting things he's done uh, forced him the players and fans to want him to sell the team and stuff like that. So therefore, there was one clause that he said he would not have control of outside player personnel. And Carson Wentz was a guy, obviously, that they had to trade for and a guy that was on the open market for quite a while. And Washington, after missing out on Russell Wilson, who they were rumored for, Aaron Rodgers, they were kind of a dark horse team for when Rodgers was on that trade block back in March, all of a sudden had to settle for Carson Wentz later in that market. He was the best one at that time when they traded for him. But Ron Rivera has accused Dan Snyder and basically saying that that's a violation of your of your trust in the NFL and Roger Goodell, what they were doing. So therefore, it was deemed an illegal move by that clause, and Carson Wentz should have never been on the Washington Commanders as a result because it was a Dan Snyder-operated move. My question here, and I'm sorry to cut you off, my question here is why why does Ron Rivera have a job? Because if Ron Rivera is accusing his owner to obviously push Carson Wentz to his team, which he didn't want, and then uh, throw him under the bus. No coach should ever throw their owner under the bus. And usually when you do that, you, you, you hear that they're getting fired the next day. And Ron Rivera, he, he's been very outspoken this year, more than any year, any year we've seen him with the Carolina Panthers and now with the Washington Commanders. All those years with the Carolina Panthers, he was very well-respected around the league, not only because he, he's, he was a war hero and he fought for the country. He, he was a very well-respected defensive coordinator when he was over there with the San, Di- San Diego Chargers. And then when he got the job with the Carolina Panthers and how he rebuilt that team and how he helped Cam Newton rediscover his, you know, his talent as a quarterback in the NFL and then really bring in one of the more elite defenses in the league for seven years over there with the Carolina Panthers and then taking over for the Washington Commanders as quick as he did. I was very surprised he took that job uh, because nobody wants to 
coach for Dan Schneider because he's just a horrible owner. And he likes to spend money and he likes to rip people off as well. So, and he's a sexist pig. But nevertheless, I mean, you hear this story. Now, I don't believe Dan Schneider will have this job, have this ownership or own this team very much longer because I think the NFL will push him out. Either him or his wife. His wife owns the team, and he thought by doing that, it gives him the better opportunity to save his hand as the owner or uh, ownership of that team. I don't believe that's going to happen uh, with everything that we're hearing, and I think a lot of these stories uh, or the stories uh, with the Washington, at one point, the Washington Redskins, uh, when they were the Redskins, I believe that a lot of these stories are going to start to come out and uh, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. So uh, he's not only going to be in trouble by losing his team, he might even go to jail. Yeah. So, I I mean, to hear this story, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm sure there's so many different stories that we haven't even heard of yet that's going to start to break skin uh, and and the NFL is going to try to protect themselves because they don't want to be any – part of the Washington Commanders football team, Redskins, of that organization because that organization has done so many awkward things in the last couple of years. As you heard John Gruden come out and say the things that he said after his quotes came out on what he said. And listen, John Gruden is not um, innocent on anything that he said. But what he is innocent on is that everything was pushed on him. The NFL pushed all of the bad that was coming out from Washington to him because of what he said of the leaking of his uh, emails that came out. So I feel bad for John Gruden, but and he lost his job. I think o- Oakland or whatever, Vegas would be in a better position right now if he was running the team and not Josh McDaniels. So <laughs> I think anyone would be better coaching that team than Josh McDaniels. Well, they were right. doing very, very well with John Gruden there. I mean, the defense was transitioning. transitioning. He found Darren Waller. Uh, Derek Carr was starting to play good football, even though he didn't want him there. I mean, and it, could you imagine if Devontae Adams was there with John Gruden with a weapon like that? I mean, you, if you remember when he was over there with the Buccaneers and uh, when the Buccaneers won a, a Super Bowl, he had Keyshawn Johnson, if you remember that. So, and he didn't even have a great quarterback. Who do you have, Johnson? Brad Johnson. They had a great running game, though. They had they had Michael Pittman and a war, uh, not more done. Work done came later. Mike Alstott at fullback, who was probably the best in the league at that time. But yeah, that was all. That was an all defensive team. That was one of the best single season defenses ever. So yeah, the, Gruden definitely ha- has a good coaching reputation, and we'll see where that would have been in this hypothetical type thing because he collapsed badly his last two years there before the whole incident in twenty. 21 and they had a year I think they were six and three they finished eight and eight and they missed the playoffs and then collapsed the next year too so definitely would be interesting but anything is better than coaching with uh with Josh McDaniels the other wrinkle that's interesting that I heard about Dan Snyder is obviously his fate as a NFL owner is still up in the air and something that Roger Goodell has lobbied to be able to force him out the stadium deal because mm-hmm. that field is a mess too. FedEx Field that's been in operation since. How the does 90s. a billionaire and one of the richer owners in the NFL, and he's very rich, yep. why isn't he fixing that stadium up? They have one of the best crowds and one of the best fan fandoms over the whole NFL. And, and you, you talk about the, Red, the the Washington football team, whatever they are, the Commanders. I can't stand the change of these teams, and I have to figure out that name. And, and I I hate it because the same thing with the Charlotte Hornets. 
they they changed it. They went from the the Hornets to the Bobcats to the Hornets again. So it made no sense. But I, I will say this. What Dan Schneider has done to that organization has been absolutely a debacle. And 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 for to sit here, if you're a Washington football fan, a football fan or a Washington Commanders fan right now, and you're sitting here and you're wondering uh, where your team is heading, your your team is heading in in the wrong direction. And Carson Wentz isn't the reason why, and Ron Rivera isn't the reason why, and this young defense isn't the reason why. It's because of ownership and management and what they have done behind closed door doors over the last couple of years. It's been embarrassing. The NFL, they've been the NFL's laughing stock. When yeah. we talk about the Jets and some of these bad teams in Cleveland over the years and even some of the teams that have been just absolutely horrendous over even Miami, all the crazy stuff that was going on in Miami with their ownership. And still is going on. Yeah, this is this is worse than any of that. So uh, it, it's definitely a story that's going to break skin even further uh, when these stories start to come out and uh, people start to talk about it even more. Yeah, because his incidences are both on and off the field, too, when you're judging all the, the, the whole sex scandal, the, the, the female employee debacle that we're seeing now, uh, not to an even higher level than what we're seeing with the Celtics recently now, too. But What is up with all these sports teams? What, you have the Celtics. You have all these football teams. You have Miami. You have now uh, the Washington Commanders. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could go – even hockey teams over the last couple of years have been st- uh, stories. Uh, football teams, and I'm talking about European football teams, oh, yeah. soccer teams uh, that have come out, and they've tried Ronaldo with the sex scandal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this has been going on in professional sports for a very, very long time. Why is it that these billion-dollar organizations – can't keep you know can't keep their their hands and keep their comments to themselves. Mm-hmm. And Washington, I think, is definitely the worst of that, though, because you're, they're taking all those different extremes to a different level that has been going on under the span of eight years too. Dan Snyder, the whole cheerleader incident happened in 2013, and now all of a sudden it's not even being charged for that yet. And you're looking at a case where now you have the employees that are having issues, not just the cheerleaders themselves, all these players getting hurt. Alex Smith literally had a life-threatening injury on that field, not to mention all the other quarterbacks and players that have had issues staying healthy on that field. You have a case where Dan Snyder is funneling funds from season ticket holders to go along with that, too. There's just so much corruption going on with this with this situation. But this has been going on, Speedy, not just with the Washington Commanders. This has been going on with all professional teams. Mm-hmm. They're always trying to find a way to take control and, and make more money. It's never enough. It's never enough. With all the endorsements and all these uh, different ways that they can make money with CBA and, and TV deals, you, you would think that the billions of dollars that they make every single year is enough for them. It's not. Look at these NBA teams getting the new, <laughs> the, the new TV deal that they're getting. These players want even more money. The ownership wants even more money. They don't even want to pay the players for what the players are asking for now. And that's why there's players' unions, and that's why they're going to go back and forth when the new CBA comes out, and they're going to try to find a way to make even more money. Not like they're making enough money. You have Steph Curry making $225 million in a a five-year deal. These guys are making $50, $60 million. You're talking about guys – who's the kid from Portland? I'm sorry. Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard that just got a two-year, $60 million a year contract. He's the highest-paid player in, in, in sports history. In, in, in a single season, making $60 million a year. 
Before you know it, you're going to have quarterbacks making $100 million a year. It's ridiculous. How could you afford that? Uh, this, the, M- the next NBA CBA is one that I think will be very scary because you're looking at these big contracts already that are getting close to $50 million a year for these max contracts, the super max contracts. I, I don't even want to know what it'll be next. And you see all the player power now between LeBron and Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and guys like that. Uh, that's a scary sight to begin with. The quarterbacks, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, who we'll talk about later, definitely setting the bar now with a $50 million deal for a guy his age. Age. And Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they set the bar for the younger quarterbacks, too. And now we see somebody like Lamar Jackson trying to leapfrog that. That's going to be a big thing that they're going to. Well, Lamar Jackson has control of that because he doesn't have an agent. Yeah. And he is going to try to make the that that single contract that really stands out, being that he's going to show you, I don't need uh, I don't need um, an agent. You don't need an agent. Why are you going to pay your agent? Seven, eight percent when you can do it yourself and make your own money out of it. You don't have to throw away eight percent of any any contract that you any endorsement that you make uh, through the agency. You can get your own endorsements and you can make your own deals with those sports teams or those football teams or those, uh, you know, I don't know, football. I, I, I Car deals or whatever the hell they get. Maybe he'll buy a team at this rate. Maybe he'll, he'll try to be like LeBron and try to buy a s- small share of every uh, all these other teams. But, yeah, you wonder if that's something that could be a modern trend, too, being your own agent. Uh, if the it's, Lamar, definitely, it's definitely going to change everything. Yeah, if the Lamar thing works. Now, that's a big... That's a big disclaimer because it looks right like now, it is right now. The Ravens haven't given him that deal yet. Obviously, Not another yet. team. Obviously, another team will if the Ravens let him go for whatever reason. Well, the Ravens did give him the deal. They didn't just give him. They yeah. didn't give him the guaranteed money that he wanted. Right, and that's where that whole thing could make a difference. Would an agent hypothetically have been able to make that guaranteed money type thing to work with those negotiations? Now, the Ravens have also been a very stingy front office when it comes to keeping players too, and they don't because they know how to draft well, and because they haven't. They've been able to. Spread spread out their money pretty manageably well where they're not stuck outside of when Flacco really signed his contract. They weren't really stuck with any spots where they were struggling to keep these, these players. So you wonder if that might be an exception to the rule, but if that Lamar Jackson things falls through with them, Will he be able to get that money from another team? He should the way he's playing this year because he's played great outside of maybe the last game. Against he's the getting Bengals. that money. So I think he would be able to get it, but it's just a matter of how will that market be able to treat him where they can trust that kind of trend. And then also, what are these other players going to do? Because these agents now are signing with these younger players quicker now too. So could it change in the other direction too where these young players say, all right, I'm going to go be my own agent and try to avoid the mistakes that a lot of these former NBA, NFL players have done, like Vince Young and Clinton Portis, that have gone broke. Who are uh, Clinton Portis was a top running back. He had Clinton Portis settled. went broke because he spent his money on garbage. He was a better. He went, he went to play cards, and he, he did things that you shouldn't be doing. Look at Walker, that played for the Celtics. Yep. He made $80 million as a, a professional basketball player. Look what he did with his money. He, be, he was broke because he was a gambler. Right. And now then he tried to come back into the the NBA. He played in the G League. It just didn't work. He was fat and out of shape. You only get a chance in certain sports if you're lucky. Even in some at certain positions in football, what do you? If you're a running back, you, the average running back plays three years in the NFL. So you have to make as much money as you possibly can in the three or four years. You're really your rookie contract is where or the extension. What Ezekiel Elliott got from the, the Cowboys was practically Jerry Jones kissing his ass mm-hmm. because nobody would have given him that money. 
Nobody, no matter how talented he is. Look at Bri- look what Brees Hall is doing for the Jets right now as a rookie. He has a rookie contract. He's a second-round pick. Four years. So the Jets don't have to pay him for four years. In four years, they, the Jets can find somebody else and say, you know what? We're going to just let you go to free agency and let another team pay you $3 million, $2 million a year. We don't have to do that. Right. And you're seeing it now even with guys getting hurt, too, in their second their second contracts, too. Derrick Henry last year suffering the injury he did late in the season. He came back for the playoffs but didn't play well in that. This year he's had a couple good games but really hasn't gotten back to that dominant Derrick Henry form yet. Christian McCaffrey, now third year in a row. He's played every game this year but still really hasn't looked the same yet. And there's going to be other ones that are coming up to these big contracts coming up. And are they going to be able to trust it to be able to make it work after the second contract? Not a chance. Derrick Henry played very well last year until that injury. And I you're seeing that case this year with two backs in particular, Saquon Barkley and Nick Chubb. Both of them have played well this year, but once they get the deal, are they going to play that well going forward? And Saquon especially has a case of not staying healthy either, and he got hurt at the end of that Giants game too. He should play, but again, it's still going to be hard, but he's out of those other injury issues too. Now, Nick Chubb doesn't have to deal with that, but also has to deal with a system in the Browns. I can name a ton backs. of players that receive their big contracts, especially on the Jets. I mean, um, Muhammad Wilkerson, he got an $86 million contract from the Jets, $40 million, almost $40 million guaranteed. After that, he tore, I think he broke his tibula or his fibula, and he was never the same player. He played for the Jets for two or three years. The Jets gave him uh, that guaranteed money, and then he went to Green Bay for one year, and then he was done with his career. He had one great season where he made that money, when he was, where he was an all-pro, pro-ball player. I don't think he was an all-pro, but he was a top-end pro-ball defensive lineman. And that's it. All, all it took was one big year, and the Jets gave him the money because if they didn't, Jet fans would have had their heads, the ownership's heads. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Dan Snyder before. They definitely had a lot of cases of that. Junior Gallette's another good example of that, a dynamic pass rusher with the Saints on that, on that Super Bowl team, and even a couple years after that too, but he went to Washington, got a huge contract, and he got hurt a lot. I just want to let everybody know so no, I'm losing my voice. Uh, I was – Dealing with some stuff uh, today, and I was yelling at somebody, and uh, I lost my voice. So uh, bear with me tonight. I've been trying to keep my voice, uh, you know, wet so I can do the show. But uh, I want to apologize to all the fans. I'm trying to uh, keep my voice going for tonight for the show. So uh, just so if anybody has any questions on why my voice is cracking tonight, it's because I was yelling uh, this afternoon. Mm. Uh, But, uh, yeah, so – the way football is going, and by the way, uh, we are expecting, we're still expecting Uche Waniri. Uh, he has not joined us yet, but he is our one one of our only special guests. We do have Brian uh, Mountain joining us. I mean, I'm sorry, Brian Derek. Mountain. Derek Mountain joining us at 11 o'clock. Why do you have to correct me all the time? I know how to correct myself. Unless I need your help, you don't need to correct me. But Derek, uh, Derek Mountain will be joining us at 11 o'clock. Um, but uh, hopefully Uche Waniri will be joining us in just a few moments. But again, uh, the NFL is, you know, with this whole Devontae Adams situation, I mean, this is, this is a joke. And this is something that the NFL can't hide. With social media, and now everybody carries around their phones and lugs their phones around everywhere they go. There was no way nobody was going to spot, spot that Devontae Adams pushed over that cameraman. That was not only embarrassing for him and the Las Vegas Raiders. That was embarrassing to the NFL. That was on a prime time game. 
What was that? Monday Night Football? Monday Night Football. After the Raiders should have won that game. Blew a 17-0 lane. And Devontae Adams, a very crucial drop. And decided to take a frustration out on a cameraman. And he had a good game, too. He had a great game in the first half. But uh, yeah. but the second half had that bad drop pass that got overturned. Bobbled it. Cost him that game. And, again, he just took his frustration out the way they collapsed. It's their second collapse of that lead this year, too. A 16-point lead against Arizona. And, then and listen, he apologized. He did. But sometimes apologies are not accepted. Right. And with the NFL and where the NFL is right now with all the stuff that's going on with Miami, and we just mentioned the Washington Commanders, they have to be really spotless on anything that they're doing because they are in the spotlight right now. And you have the Las Vegas Raiders. They have a new coach. They have a player that's making – he has the biggest wide receiving contract in NFL history, the most guaranteed money for a wide receiver. These wide receivers are making ridiculous money, and he was one of the reasons why they did. It was Christian Kirk, and then it was really him. Yep. And Christian Kirk, you, you, you giggle and sniff. Christian Kirk has had a good season. So everybody that was taking shots at why the Jaguars paid Christian Kirk, well, I could see why. He, what does he have, five touchdowns already? He's, he, I think he has over almost 400 yards. I mean, he's going to have a Pro Bowl season. And without Christian Kirk, what what are the Arizona Cardinals doing? Uh, yeah, that's the bigger issue. Uh, they have not figured that out. Uh, that's you, Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, Christian Kirk this year, 21 catches, 338 yards, and three touchdowns on the season. And he's been that was the, close. Yeah, he's been the Jaguars' number one receiver. And pretty outside of the, the last game where he only had one catch for 11 yards, pretty consistent. 6-1-17, 6 for 78 two touchdowns in game two against the Colts, uh, six, seven, 72 yards and a touchdown against LA and the Philly, uh, the Eagles game, two catches, 60 yards was doing well at the beginning of that game. Kind of got shut down in the second half by that Eagles secondary and, uh, Darius Slay, who's probably played like the best performance corner in football. So really no shame in that. If you're Christian Kirk, a guy that definitely has earned the contract so far that he's gotten, we'll see long-term he's had injury issues in his career for sure. He's having a great season. Yeah. For anybody to take shots at Christian Kirk on what he has done this year, there is nothing to laugh about. I mean, he is on his way for a Pro Bowl season. He is going to break 1,000 yards. Uh, What are they, five games into the season? Mm -hmm. He has another game this week. Uh, He's got a significant amount. I think he has 12 more games left of the season. He is going to probably break over 1,000 yards, and he's going to have close to 10 touchdowns. And for for a wide receiver, they got the money that he got and guaranteed money, 70 some million dollars, I think it was $30 million, $35 million guaranteed. Christian Kirk is earning every single penny that he got. But I, I'm not even bringing up Christian Kirk. I'm talking about the one guy that should not be pushing away cameramen. He should be really quiet. Now, I, I before before this past week we with Kansas City after winning that game before that game that they won against the Broncos there were stories coming out that he was talking to the press he was leaking out things that he is not happy with the team he's not happy with the coach he's not happy with Derek Carr which is his best friend I mean you should not be doing that you are one of the the stars of this team you're one of the franchise players for this organization and you decided to leave Green Bay. Green Bay was offering you close to the same amount of money that the Vegas Raiders were going to offer you. You decided to go play with your best friend, Derek Carr, when you could have stayed and played with arguably the best quarterback in the NFL and Aaron Rodgers.
Well, you would have to take a lot less money to do that because Aaron Rodgers got $50 million too. Unless they were both were to take pay cuts, but Aaron Rodgers, who knows if that, if that was going to be the case. But I know you've done photography at a lot of events too. How vulnerable you is, can camera people be? You don't have the peripheral vision because you're looking in the lens the whole time. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to have an NFL frustrated NFL player come over to you like that and, and just have it, take it out. I don't know. It didn't seem like he said anything either. It looked like he was just doing his job from what I heard. Mm-hmm. No report has come out and said that the camera guy instigated him or anything like that. I would understand if it was one of those fans or something that was heckling him or, or trash talking him like the issue that the Patriots fans had with Tyreek Hill that one time when they were uh, flipping the bird to him and stuff like that. That's one thing, but it, it didn't seem like that camera guy was doing anything to instigate Devontae Adams. And a guy that's in that kind of vulnerable position, that definitely obviously nowhere near the athlete, that's oftentimes worse than just shoving a guy on the field because they're, they're not padded. They're not protected like that. They don't have, they don't have the teammates that are going to be rallying around you because they can't see all that. Even if there are other camera people there, they're not going to be able to see it either unless they have the right shots. So that's terrible on his part. I, he, he's probably only going to get the one game, but I, I, I would give him more personally. No, he's going to get one game. And, and some people say he might not get any games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is going to have a fine and he's probably going to have to pay um, this cameraman uh, a significant amount of money mm-hmm. because the cameraman is going to probably waive this misdemeanor. He's the the deal will probably uh, the the lawyers of obviously Devonte Adams will speak to the lawyers of this cameraman and probably discuss with them on how they can negotiate a deal where they can move it to a violation and where it won't cause any more problems and. It'll probably cost him a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand, which is pennies out of the pocket of Devontae Adams on the money that he got with, right. from the Vegas uh, Raiders in the off season. But uh, I think in the big picture, it was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. It was absolutely embarrassing, and uh, the Raiders need to figure things out because this organization and this team have been a laughing stock, and and we're still waiting for. Uche Waniri, have you spoken to him? Yeah, I messaged him like four times. I haven't, I haven't gotten a response. Right, he responded well, earlier, and he said he was ready to go, but I don't know. Maybe he has problems right now. Uh, where is he living? He lives in Atlanta, so he's the Eastern Time Zone, so he got that part it, right. It might be raining over there. It might be problems yeah, with it could be. Yeah, Right, because the, the Braves game yesterday had some th- th- thunderstorms. There so could be that. things going on yeah, over there, so... Yeah. I, you know, we will, if Uche does show up, we will definitely interview him. But as of right now, uh, it looks like we might not have him on the show tonight. Uh, but we will have Derek uh, Mountain joining us at 11 o'clock uh, to do our pick. So, um, yeah. So why don't we get into week five and recap week fr- five, Speedy. Uh, so let's go through the games. Um, we will talk about each and every game and our thoughts. You have the music. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. Pick the games and let's let's move on. All right, we'll start with the London game, the New York Giants uh, knocking off the Packers. Oh, it looks like uh, Uche is coming. Do you want to wait on that? It looks like he's coming. All right, he's coming in. It looks like he's coming in. He says, uh, here I come. So right, you, want, you want to continue talking about the no, Dante Adams? No, we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait for Uche Waniri because uh, we did – we, we did have him scheduled till for 9.30, and I know he's probably busy. So as soon as he comes in, uh, we will uh, introduce him. Why don't we go to a quick break? Okay. Uh, when we come back, we will, have, uh, we will be talking to ex-Jaguar, uh, ex-NFL player, ex-guard Uche Waniri here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can go to our website at www. 
www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouths. We are live every single Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesdays, we're on 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And on Thursdays, 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. every Thursday. We're still waiting for our special guest, ex-Jaguar guard, Uche Waniri. He is about to come in. So, Speedy, let's go into our recap of a game number week number five in the games. And then when Uche comes in, uh, we'll introduce him. So let's Alrighty, go. Alrighty, sounds good. All right, we'll start with the New York Giants in London, knocking off the Green Bay Packers 27-22. And it's been the story of the Giants this year. What a gritty fourth quarter team they've been this year. They came back the way they did against the Titans. They came back the way they did against the Panthers after the Panthers took the lead in the third quarter. And now they do it against a team that's a top team, Green Bay Packers team that a lot of people thought was going to be a Super Bowl type team this year. A defense that is very talented too. And the Giants were able to come back with their passing game. It wasn't just their running game. Saquon did good well in the first half, but it was the passing game that did very well. Darius Slayton especially looked like the receiver he was his rookie year, finally, for the first time in three years. So very impressed with him. And Daniel Jones, he may not be the greatest statistically, but he is gritty. I will, before we invite uh, Uche Waniri into uh, uh, into the scope, I, I do want to talk a little bit about this game. I was very surprised on the Giants' You know, approach in this game. I, I think they have the best coach right now in the NFL. Uh, he's having a fantastic year. I, I think he's coach of the year. If the season were to end, he is coach of the year. But really what this quarterback did in the second half, Aaron Rodgers has been the face of, you know, football when it comes to quarterback play. And in the second half, and maybe it's because of the wide receivers, maybe because Devontae Adams is not playing for the Green Bay Packers. But, uh, Daniel Jones outplayed Aaron Rodgers in the second half. He showed up in the fourth quarter, made every single throw, didn't drop the ball, uh, put himself in position to succeed. The offensive line held up. They've played very well in the second half. And and really, the second half, the defense in the fourth quarter, uh, the blocking, Thibodeau showed up in in the fourth quarter, made some couple of key blocks. And at the end of the game, when they had a chance, when Green Bay was on the Giants' 15, 20-yard line, uh, the key blocks that they had, back-to-back blocks, which kept Aaron Rodgers out of the end zone and out of an opportunity to tie this game and win this game uh, in the long run. I was very surprised. I was very excited for all the uh, for the Giant fans. I am not a Giant fan, but I, I have to give them a lot of credit. Nobody would have thought that the Giants going into week six would be 4-1 and one, and one of the better teams in the NFC. So sensational win by the New York Giants. And there was two sensational wins for the Giants so far this year, early this season. They beat the Tennessee Titans, that are one of the hotter teams right now in the NFL, and and they beat the Green Bay Packers. The other two wins, uh, and and even the Cowboy lost. They should have won that game too. Yeah, uh, they could be very much five and zero right now, and one of the undefeated teams right now in the NFL. Uh, but again, if you're a Giant fan right now, four and one isn't too shabby. You should be very excited if you're a Giant fan. So that is what we thought about the Giants uh, game in Week Five game against the Green Bay Packers. We will get into all our week five recap after we get our special guest. We'll go to a quick we'll go to a quick break and then we will introduce our special guest, former ex-Jaguar guard Uche Waniri here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. 
are back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Sports Loudmouth. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can go to our website at www.sportsonthego1.com and the world. And you could also go to our other website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. By the way, the Islanders are, are down 2-1 to one with 10 minutes left in the third period, and they're on a power play. The Rangers are up 3-1 to one going into the third period as well. So if you're a Ranger fan and Islander fan, we're giving you our thoughts on the ongoing games going on right now, live here in New York. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to introduce our very special guest. We are now talking to former Jaguars guard, Uche Wanieri. Uche, what's up, man? What's up, man? How you doing? Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. And the last two weeks of NFL football on Thursday Night Football has been absolutely putrid. I mean, seriously, if you're an NFL fan <laughs> watching this garbage, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather watch college football. As a matter of fact, I'd rather watch high school football than this garbage. It's been putrid. But anyways, how are you and your family doing uh, with obviously the COVID situation, um, how how are you guys doing? And now that we've we've we're moving on, everything that's gone on down south with the the storms and everything like that. How's everything going over there? Being is that I'm in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of just out of the way. Uh, we were, you know, we received some pretty strong storms coming through. Uh, it's kind of just uh, the outside layer of that of the whole Hurricane Ian thing, but. Uh, I know people in Jacksonville were affected by it. Just, you know, the trop. It, it's, it's, it's usually when you get storms coming through in hurricane season in Florida, it tears up like the panhandle where, mm-hmm. where South Pensacola Coast, yeah. is mm-hmm. and that kind of connector to Louisiana, Texas, all that stuff. The coast, those yeah. their areas really get, yeah, those coasts get, they, it gets beat up pretty, pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jacksonville always just kind of missed it, but. I think Jacksonville got hit with some really strong way, uh, really strong rain, a little bit of flooding, but not as bad as places like Fort Myers. So that mm-hmm. was good. But no, we've been we've been good. We've been good over here. You know, it's, it's Atlanta is just just north enough to be out of the way. <laughs> as everybody knows, we are talking a former Jaguars guard, Uche Wanieri. So Uche, your career. Let's let, let's let the fans know a little bit about you. How did you obviously start playing football? When did you start playing football? And and go to, and and then move on, moving on to college, and then getting drafted uh, in the NFL and your NFL career. How did that all start? Uh, well, you know, I, I honestly I didn't start playing football until I was a sophomore in high school. But I was always, you know, I always loved football. That was my first, the first love that I had in sports. Uh, my parents didn't want me playing it uh, because they thought it was too violent. You know, so I played basketball uh, up until my sophomore year when I kind of just snuck on and tried out for the football team. And, uh, you know, I was a defensive end, actually, mm. uh, through, through high school, got a scholarship to Purdue, uh, got moved to offensive line my second year at Purdue. And from there, you know, was a starter. Uh, ended up getting drafted fifth round to Jacksonville. Uh, pick 149 and, you know, was able to become a starter in my second season there, you know, all the way through uh, my, my seven years in Jacksonville. So um, it was a great experience, man. I mean, it's a dream come true. It's what you always, you know, it's what everybody dreams about when they're a kid and uh, living that life and being in the, in that world. 
it was, you know, it was obviously a blessing. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of great memories, a lot of, a lot of, uh, not so great <laughs> memories, but thus is, is, you know, that's the way that, that sports is, you know, you get a little bit of, a little bit of everything. So, um, you know, kind of, a. Uh, it, it makes you, especially playing, you know, seven years in Jacksonville, that, that made me a Jaguar. So now it's, you know, I played in Dallas too, but I don't, I don't care for Dallas. I didn't care for that for, for the Cowboys. Seems like nobody does. Um, <laughs> yeah. Organizations, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's many reasons why that organization has been stuck in the mode it's been stuck in. And, and a lot of it has to do with the guy at the top. So, um, you know, but, but obviously, you got a little bit of different perspective being a, a player on some of the things that are happening now in the NFL, because really a lot, you know, a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same. Uh, there hasn't been the one thing that I have noticed is kind of, I've noticed a fall off in technique technique in the NFL is not what it was five years ago, much less, you know, when I, you know, I was playing seven years ago, eight years ago. And, I mean, there was such we our coaches were such sticklers for technique. It was not even I mean, it was not even funny. Like and you could see it on film on different from any team you looked at, uh, you know, whatever, whatever week of the season it was, you saw the film was what, you know, kind of, of set the uh, set the tempo for how you prepared for for opponents. So you can see the technique that they're using. You can see that their consistency is is there but you know being an outside you know looking from the outside looking in now you know hey we have access to the all 22 footage so you still get to look at the film like a player looks at it and you don't see the technique you don't see the the crisp uh execution you don't see this the speed is still there but but it's almost out of control speed to a certain extent Mm -hmm. uh and i think that that's that's hurting most uh most on thursdays because that's the extra game that gets slid in there. So you see, you're seeing the worst of technique on Thursdays because of that <laughs> short turnaround. Uh, and and a lot of guys go into that game and their bodies are not even their bodies are still reeling from the previous game. Right. So you got to kind of numb yourself. They you know they hit you with the tour at all <laughs> to numb you to numb you up so you don't feel it. Uh, and you know then they, then they got to give you like a week off after that because you can't move. <laughs> you know so. Uh, you know, just that's that's kind of been my the evolution that I've seen just personally of the sport and how it's you know kind of changed, but also hasn't changed. So yeah, yeah. The uh, the announcers were joking earlier on the Thursday night football broadcast, like, when are we finally going to get a touchdown? And it finally happened in the third quarter. It took a six quarter drought for that to happen. So you're in. I mean, you see, that. these teams can't even they can't even score. Like they can't even get in the red zone. <laughs> it's so bad. And you know, I think the coaches have made this sport way too complicated. Oh, absolutely. In their own in their own minds, mm-hmm. because it's not a complicated game. It's football, (laughs) and they make it rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't tell that to the Patriots because they have two guys that are could be scientists and rocket science people. And then you have uh, Miami's coach that you called the nerd like two weeks ago. Daniel, I mean, that guy is like five foot four, five foot three. He looks like uh, he looks like a nerd. He looks like uh, a a white pee wee, uh, uh, a white uh, what is it, Jaleel White? What was it, Urkel? He looks like Urkel. he looks like an Urkel. That's what he looks like. They, yeah. dude, they had to pull up a stool for him to stand on when he's talking to the press. 
I mean, seriously. Wow. <laughs> so my question, Uche, is uh, you're, you played with two of the best running backs of their time for a while. Fred Taylor, you kind of started with when he was a little older, but still was very good at that time. Mm-hmm. And then Maurice Jones-Drew, when he came in as a young running back, instantly dominated. So what were they like uh, both on and off the field as players and as teammates? <clears throat> Uh, man, just, you know, Mojo's a stand-up dude, one of my best friends. Still talk to Mojo to this day. Uh, Fred was a leader. He was, you know, I was in awe when I when I got on the, you know, when I was on the, the got to Jacksonville and walk in the locker room. And honestly, the only two names I knew in the Jaguars before being drafted by them was Leftwich and Taylor. You know, Fred Taylor, Byron Leftwich. And... You know, seeing these guys, especially seeing Fred Taylor, knowing how long he'd been playing, how, how much of a legend he was to like, you know, to the to the NFL world. You know, I thought it was amazing. I thought it, it was like, you know, this is this is the NFL. Wow. Like, uh, but Fred was a stand up dude, man. Fred was a leader. He was a, a professional. And, you know, and he was very transparent about, you know, the pitfalls of that young players fall into. Uh, both from a professional standpoint, financial standpoint, all those different things. Uh, he was he was a teacher to a lot of us because of you know his knowledge and his experience. So it was really uh, it was enriching. It was very enriching, you know, for me as a player, as a young player, to have somebody like that in the locker room. And he was damn good. Still, I'll never forget. Like my first. Uh, let me see here. My first game, our first home game. I'll never was it a home game? Uh, I think this was uh, later in the season. Actually, we're playing against the Raiders, mm. and I actually wasn't even dressing for this game. I was just like in street clothes or in uh, sweats. So I'm walking in a little bit late, right after the kickoff, and first play of the game. This guy just gets a dive and just goes like 70 yards from like the 20, 25, 70 yards, to like a 10 yard line. And, you know, this is a guy they said was, was old. This is a guy they said was, you know, was over his prime and uh, he's out running like 22 year olds <laughs> up the middle of the field. I mean, his speed was amazing. His speed was so underrated. I mean, the dude was even at, you know, I think this was at 33. He was mm. still just blazing down the field. And, um, you know, it was it was good to see that kind of talent. I mean, Maurice learned a lot from him as a running back. Uh, and, you know, for, for Jacksonville to have kind of two running backs kind of transition from one to the other with those kind of kind of running backs, that high quality. I mean, Maurice Jones drew, what, three Pro Bowls in a row yep. as a starter. Uh, rush, the rushing title in 2011. Uh, you know, it was uh, – it was it's it was always just kind of like we felt like that's just what Jacksonville was. We're a running team. We run the ball well. We always have good running backs. And uh our passing game thrives because our running game is so good. And you know, both of those guys were really really strong uh ambassadors for the Jaguars. And even to this day, you know, Maurice is still one of the quintessential Jaguars when you look at it. So Definitely was good having both of them. I wonder uh, if our friend uh, Stuart Schweigert remembers that run. <laughs> As everybody knows, mm. we are talking to former Jaguars. Stu was there, yeah. That's Stu right. was there. That's right. We are talking to former Jaguars uh, guard Uche Warneri. 
Uh, Uche, uh, when you when you look at the NFL and you look at the guard position, you look at the offensive line. It's all about camaraderie. It's it's all about uh, family. Every single offensive lineman I've ever interviewed and I've spoken to, they they tell me. Every single offensive lineman have to work as one. If you don't work as one, yeah. the offensive line never works. And you played 104 games with the Jaguars as an NFL player. Uh, you were very consistent. You you barely were hurt. If you look at your career, after your 2007 season as a rookie, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 12, and 13, you missed one game, which is it's it's remarkable when you talk about injuries and consistency. What is it like? <laughs> what is it like playing on an offensive line, uh, working together as one, and really uh, keeping yourself as healthy as you did as an offensive lineman? Uh, I mean, look, man, I was playing hurt. I wasn't playing injured, but I was playing. Hurt. Everybody's playing hurt, mm-hmm. so you know you're you're never quite one hundred percent. You're usually hovering somewhere between eighty five to one hundred percent. Uh, on a win on, on a weekly basis, just you know, as a default. But uh, you know, I can't tell you, man. I mean, injuries are part of the game. But I was fortunate to not have many injuries as a player, and that's you know, that's obviously not something that a lot of guys can can say. But it's it's something that that you hope you're able to achieve uh, through the course of your career. And as an offensive lineman, I mean, you're in the trenches, so it's like, man. How many times have my knees been rolled up on? Well, that's probably like a hundred times, but you know, it's, you know, fortunate that you don't have that, you know, cause once you get one of, if once you get a serious injury, once you get like a torn something, once you tear something, break something, your whole body has to readjust to it in the recovery and you become more susceptible to those injuries in the future. So it's kind of like leads you down a, a injury riddled, riddled path after that point. But uh, you know, for offensive linemen, you know, we we have to gr- we have to grind these things out a lot of the time. So, you know, guys don't really care that we're hurt, so we have to kind of push through it a little bit more than everybody else does. Uh, but the unit itself is is unique because, you know, we are the engine of the car. Mm-hmm. The, the car doesn't move without the engine being turned on, and we have a, a, a number of responsibilities that are crucial to any play being able to, you know, to being able to work, you know, being able to execute in certain game scenarios, whether it's in the red zone, whether it's coming out from a backed up position, whether it's a sudden change where we're now we got the ball on uh, the opponent's side of the field and we have to be able to set the tempo as a line. A lot of times it really comes down to us being able to move the defense back, you know, a couple yards off the ball, being able to hold up and pass protection. Uh, in the community, there's so much that goes into those things working. Communication is being, you know, one of the one of the top things you have to be on top of as a player. You have to know what to say to your guy. Your guy has to know what to expect from you, and you have to. And the, and the repetition of getting that communication synchronized, you know, comes in practice, comes in training camp. Because on game day, I mean, hell, half the times you can't hear. Half the times you can't hear what your guy next to you is saying, but you know what he. You can tell what he's saying because of the how many times you've done it in practice. You know what to expect. Uh, but being able to be a cohesive unit, uh, you can tell there's a distinct difference between what an offense looks like when the offensive line is playing well and when it doesn't. Uh, I mean, you can see that on a number of number of teams today in the NFL. Uh, you look at, you know, a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs might have the best offensive line in the NFL simply because those guys communicate 
extremely well with line of scrimmage. And I know that they have the best, probably the best offensive line coach in the NFL. He was my offensive line coach for six out of my seven years, and Andy Heck. I see everything he taught us being done by the Chiefs offensive line uh, when I watch their games. And it's, you know, I kind of know what they're doing because I know what that, how that coach thinks. And, you know, you, and, and what I, one of the things that he was such a stickler for, Andy Heck, is technique and consistent technique because you have to be able to do it over and over and over. Uh, this dude's a very smart guy. He teaches his guys every element of blocking as an offensive lineman, and that really does come into play during the game. Uh, but uh, there, there's that's you know it's there, it's such a such it has to be such a well-oiled machine uh, for offensive linemen for you to truly uh, see you can for you to be able to truly see how how much of an influence the offensive line play has on everything else. I mean, you know, it's a, it's the unit that gets the least amount of credit when you when it's working, mm-hmm. and the most amount of blame when it's not. But there's, you know, it is distinct. It is there's a distinct difference between a good how a good offense looks with a good O line and one that doesn't have one. You mentioned the Chiefs. I'm sure as a day three draft pick yourself. I was slide. day two. Oh, I, you were day I don't two. know about this day three stuff that y'all have now. Now it's like they got five oh, days or something like that. But. but yeah, late round pick and uh, Trey Smith was a seventh <laughs> round pick and coached by the same guy as you. That's gotta be that's gotta be show something. How about guys that you went up against? Is there any defensive lineman? that was the toughest guy to go up against, either a star or even a lesser-known guy that maybe gave you some trouble? Who would it be and why? Man, there were a number of guys who were who were good players that I played against, uh, some of them very high-profile, some of them not. Uh, one name that comes to mind, Kyle Williams. as mm. defensive tackle from Buffalo Bills. That guy was uh, – he's one of the highest-motor guys I've ever played against. Good guy, good player. Powerful guy, uh, didn't you know? And he was part of that. He was part of the. He was part of the Buffalo Bills era, right as they were becoming a more consistent team, a better team. Uh, but he 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 was a guy who I had to play against numerous times. Uh, Albert Hainsworth in his in his Tennessee days yeah. was a guy I had to play against multiple times. Um, uh, what's his name from? Uh, Cincinnati, the defensive tackle. Geno Atkins was there for you. Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins was the best defensive defensive lineman I played against my entire time. Like wow. as far as as far as this guy has, the, he's a complete package as a, as a DT. He's almost a defensive end. Uh, he's kind of a, a tweener in that regard. But that guy was the most. I had to play the entire play, every play against him. And that was that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. You know, but you you're in the middle of the line of the middle of the line. You have to be able to be able to keep that guy from penetrating into the backfield. Um, but he was probably to me the best from a from a skill set standpoint, he was the best defense tackle I played against in my, you know, in my career. But there were other guys who were good good as well. Um just thinking off the top of my head here, uh, Pecco. Me, I used to, but Pecco from Cincinnati. He was oh, yeah. he was decent uh-huh. as well. Paul Solii was was a pretty decent player in Miami. Played against him a lot. Uh, let me see who else. Uh, Ma- uh, what was his name? Max from Miami's defensive tackle. Uh, he was there forever. Randy Starks. Um, was it Randy yes. Starks? Yeah. Yeah, that's a cat that me and him used to have battles back and forth. 
Who else? I thought that Be- uh, Bennett from um, Seattle. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was very good. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought he talked a lot of shit. But he, wasn't really <laughs> he, he had a he had a mouth on him because he didn't like getting blocked. And I, in the first game, first play of the game, I I chucked him into his outside linebacker because he thought he was gonna he thought he was gonna out he was gonna run right past me and I was just like okay yeah that's not gonna happen. <laughs> was that the game in 2013 um, you guys won against Seattle that year or was that was that game? Uh, I think it was a year before that because okay. he was I don't think he was he was a year or two before that he wasn't he wasn't in I think he was gone by 2013 okay. to to another squad but um i didn't like him anyways i thought he was just bad sport um who else uh charles uh or charles charles rogers defensive tackle from mm-hmm. cleveland mm-hmm. big boy he was he was a, i only played against him like twice but that dude was a problem i was like yo this dude is too <laughs> athletic being this big he might have how been are you this shifty he might have been the best nose tackle in the league when he was in Detroit. So he was, yeah, he was one of the best. You know, when we played him, he he was in Cleveland. He was, I mean, he was in his prime. I don't know what how you know he was a guy that I think maybe a couple years later he kind of like fell off, but that guy was he was giving us problems. I was like, yo, this guy's good. <laughs> but um, who else was? Uh, Another guy I didn't think was very good at all. Uh, Dominica Sue played against him. I thought <laughs> wow. he was. I didn't think he was very good at all. I thought he was just overrated. all brute force, nothing completely overrated. He didn't do it. He had his worst game of his of his season against me. He had no <laughs> tackles, no pressures. Uh, I think he had like one hit, but it was like you know it's one of those you know you just kind of fall into the QB after you already threw it. What do these guys say no. at the line of scrimmage? Who? Who taught, Who spoke a lot of crap at the line of scrimmage? I, I know there's so many people. We've interviewed so many people over the last couple of years, ex-NFL players. And if I, I've asked them silly questions about, you know, what these guys say on the field and, and who was the biggest talkers on the field. Could you name some players that were just just – they opened up their mouth every uh... time they stepped at the line? What was that one catch? Uh, this cat played. He was the line. He was uh, he was the Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker. Then he went to play in Miami. I forget his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker. Uh, he went Joey Porter. Joey Miami. Porter. Joey Porter. Ooh, Joey Porter talked that shit. Now <laughs> he talked a lot of trash. I'm sure he did. And, he talked trash when we played him in Pittsburgh. He talked trash when we played him in Miami. But he was a good sport, though. Uh, he wasn't, you know, it was like he's doing it out of, like, his competitive nature, but he's but he's having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, really, honestly, man, on the O-line, man, not a, real, not a lot of trash talkers. I, I never really dealt with a lot of trash talkers. Guys didn't usually say too much to me. Mm. Um I mean, I consider it out of respect because I mean, one, I hey, I ain't got the energy to go back and forth with you, <laughs> yapping. I'll, I'll go back and forth with you on some blocking, but not yapping because I'll be I'm too tired for that. Uh, but you know, it didn't really have to deal with a ton of that. 
not not a lot of that, you know, as a as, as a player. But we we are Joey talking. Porter's a guy who sticks out. Thirty eight year old, still young guy, Uche Waniri, mm. uh, has his whole life in front of him. Why don't we get into your career with the Jaguars? And you played with some decent quarterbacks. I mean, David Garrard was a pretty good quarterback in two thousand seven. You were eleven and five in your rookie season. Uh, he's a good quarterback, and and Byron Leftwich, who who was always a known quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he had a pretty good career. Uh, he started his career with the Jaguars, almost got the head coaching job for the Jaguars this offseason, decided yeah. not to take it. He went back to uh, the Buccaneers. Did you ever think that Byron Leftwich was going to be a good coach or offensive coordinator when he decided to leave football as, as, uh, as a starting quarterback in the NFL? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of figured, look, I, I, I didn't get a lot of time with Byron, but mm-hmm. I did kind of figure him to be a coaching type, uh, just, you know, seeing how his career played out in Pittsburgh, you know, he was a backup the majority of the time there, but usually guys in his position have so much, such a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. that coaching is almost second nature for them at that point. And that's kind of what they've start doing in their last few years in the league. And that's kind of where he was. Uh, as a as a as a player going into transitioning into being a coach, I'm not surprised in how his career has played has mm-hmm. played out. You know, he's got a championship in Tampa Bay with the Bucks. You know, obviously, have a Tom Brady <laughs> helps a lot. Yes, it does. <laughs> but it does. Um, please don't remind me. No, I, I, I yeah, come on, man. I'm kidding? a I'm a Jet fan, <laughs> so I, I had to deal with that. My whole I've life. I've had to play against that cat more times than I fucking cared to, cared to you know. <laughs> but um, I'm not surprised that Byron's career play, uh, turned into the coaching career that it's become. And I really was rooting for him to be a head coach, uh, especially in Jacksonville. I felt like that would have been full circle uh, for him. Didn't work out, but uh, he's still one of the top coordinators in the NFL. I mean – you know, this guy's put in a ton of work. He's got been under the tutelage of Todd Bowles for a number of years now. And, you know, having somebody like Todd Bowles kind of mentor you into that and groom you into being that kind of coach that can become a head coach is is invaluable. So um it's it's not surprising to me that he's that he is where he is now. So we were talking about the uh, the trash talky earlier with defensive tackles. Uh, you actually in practice played against two of the best of them, and John Henderson, Marcus Stroud. Oh, they God. were a great duo. So what were they like? Uh, we uh, Henderson obviously has that famous commercial with the ESPN mm-hmm. commercial. Love and, that commercial, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Marcus Stroud, very good. Probably the best defensive tackle duo that I've seen in a four three defense. So what were they like on? Yeah. Fields? Oh man, those guys were. I mean, those those dudes were. For me, as a young player, they were larger than life because I had seen them as a college player on TV. Watch, I'd watch them play, you know, because at Purdue, you know, you're in Indiana. So, uh, you know, you see the Colts and, the, you know, you see the AFC South games. And the Colts and the Jags were always a game that would come on and be a, one of them would be a primetime game. So, you know, it would be awesome to watch those. And you would see those guys out there balling and, you know, having to practice against them as a young guy was not easy. <laughs> you know, it was there was a steep learning curve because those guys were were so talented. Uh, but it was it was it was special. Big John is still I still talk to Big John to this day. Uh, Stroud lives here in Atlanta. Uh, see I see him. I saw him. I saw Stroud a couple years ago um, when we went when we all went back to Jacksonville for their Legends game. Mm. Um, but you know, guys, you know, like that, guys like that, it, especially as a young player, they were 
they, without knowing it, they were instrumental in me becoming the kind of player I was going to be because I had to play against them every day. And I had to, like, kind of, you know, you kind of got to catch up right. to in a certain extent, practicing against them. So you start to be able to uh, anticipate guys' moves and, and, and just because you're playing against guys that are so big and quick like them, mm-hmm. you know, other defensive players – don't seem that hard to block after having a having a play, play against them all the time. So um, they were invaluable to my growth as a player, and they were they were good dudes, man. I mean, we used, they used to have we used to have these little parties every every t- we used to call it Tear It Down Tuesday. Oh, Tear It Down Tuesday. We have a little cookout on our day off. Have a cookout. We had some we had some uh, what some, is some, some some what is it like feeding you know five big offensive linemen are over three hundred pounds? I mean seriously. <laughs> I mean it's a lot. You got to have a lot of food. Regardless, <laughs> feeding, feeding any 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 pro athletes like that, you got to have a lot of food because <laughs> we got we got we got big appetites. I'm sure you do. <laughs> we are talking to former ex Jaguar guard Uche Waniri. You know, Uche, you look at the NFL and transition of the game with the new rules and the quarterback play, and now the quarterbacks, you can't even put a pinky on them. You're calling 15-yard penalties, and, and the NFL and, and some of these coaches and some – really, some now some of the players are complaining about it because uh, last week there were two calls that actually ruined the game and cost two teams a chance of winning a game. So do you like the new rules with the NFL? Do you like that the fact that the NFL protects the quarterbacks like a bunch of babies? Uh, you know, look, man, it's it's like the government. You know, every, a lot of times you get an overreaction for the sake of of uh, over for the sake of overreacting. I mean, this is this is the NFL trying to you know quell a situation that really, if you go through and you look at it, two situation happened, two is. Tua's concussion situation right. kind of came from the same tackle, you know, that you saw happen to Tom Brady. Like it was the same kind of tackles, the slinging them to the ground tackles. And, you know, that's something that the NFL didn't pay attention to when it was happening to him. So when it happened to him and then you have this storm of, of, of ill, you know, ill energy that hits them four days later when two was knocked out of a game on Thursday night, no less, uh, because of that, you know, being tackled. I think the NFL sees that and they say, we got to protect our quarterbacks even more because we don't want to, because now you have all these quarterbacks all of a sudden getting knocked out of the games with concussions. So I think they kind of overreacted in that they made it a, a bigger point of emphasis with the referees to then, you know, call any aggressive tackles on the quarterback. Now, how does that manifest itself on Sundays? Well, you don't necessarily, you don't see the Jaguars quarterback getting the flag when he gets slammed. No. But you will see that flag come out when you have a Derek Carr getting tackled Mm -hmm. or he's actually stripped of the ball while he's being tackled, which one could argue he's not even a quarterback anymore at that point. I agree with you. Because now he's a defender. Mm Mm-hmm because the ball was taken out of his hands before he even actually start really was getting tackled. Horrible call, by the um, and, and then, of course, you have Atlanta. Grady Jarrett makes a tackle on Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and it's a routine tackle. He actually – you can actually see the, the amount of athleticism that he has 
being that he actually adjusted the path and the velocity of his own tackle, mm-hmm. mid-tackle to avoid actually really hammering Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And he went into a barrel roll on his butt and to sling him instead of just the lift off the ground and sling that you see some defensive players do mm-hmm. to quarterbacks that can cause a ton of damage because you get them off the ground and then you just bury them. <laughs> I mean, it's like rough. <laughs> And this guy, I mean, I actually commend a lot of defensive players that they are actually able to mentally process and readjust their angles on tackles, mid-tackle, to try and avoid putting on their weight on the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And they do that partly out of they don't want to get flagged and fined, but also you're not trying to hurt this dude. You're not trying to hurt him. but And you're trying to, you know, be a, a, a team sport. And not and make it a tackle without making it, you know, a a vicious, you know, kind of violent uh, uh, sack. Which I mean, come on, man! I remember a time right before this where quarterbacks would get folded. Yep. I mean, and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You, you never see a flag unless mm-hmm. it's while they're throwing it. You don't see a flag if you hit them. If you if they're getting sacked, they can be sacked in the most vicious way possible. And it was and it was fair game. Now, do I think that that is that was uh, something that should have that, that needed adjusting? Yes, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of times that quarterback is in a vulnerable position when he Absolutely. begins to be sacked. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely do a ton of damage mm-hmm. uh, if you want to as a big, you know, three hundred pound, two hundred eighty pound defensive end, and you know you would see that. So I so I didn't have a big issue with that being something that became a little bit of a point of emphasis. But it's become a, it's a, it's a huge overreaction now because you've seen injuries to quarterbacks, and that's what the NFL does when quarterbacks start getting hurt. They start overprotecting them, and that's where we're at right now. So, in your career, do you have a favorite block and a favorite moment in any game of your career? Favorite block was against the Houston Texans. Uh, this was what 2009, I believe. And this was me when I picked up D'Amico Ryan in the safety and tossed him in the end zone as we <laughs> ran in to win the game with Maurice Jones-Drew on a power play. They they replayed that like 10 times. <laughs> I hit the linebacker and the safety at the same time, threw the linebacker and the safety into the ground, running back goes jogging right by. We win the game off that. And then favorite moment, I would say, uh, I mean, I loved our first year when we went to the playoffs, my rookie year. I thought that was that was such an awesome introduction to the NFL for me because it was like, yo, all we're doing is winning. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be easy. This is going to be great. We're going to want to love this. Champ, we're going to get a championship. But surely we're a great team. Mm-hmm. Didn't get back to the playoffs again. But <laughs> I will say that. My favorite moment, the funnest moment, singular moment in my career was the Hail Mary pass. Yeah, I remember that Thomas pass. Cop. I remember that. That was such a that was such an because we kind of called it before the before the play happened. We're in the huddle. I'm like, man, I feel like uh nobody here wants to go to overtime. And they're like, hell no, we don't. We try to get out of here. I said, okay, I, I said, and then we're like, yeah, let's we're like. We can get this. We can get this touchdown. We can get this score. We can get it. Okay, yeah, let's go. And we broke the huddle. Dave got time to pass. He put up a, a ball, and really the defense did what they were supposed to do. Just It was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Smacked the ball down. The DB smacked the ball right into Mike Thomas's hands. 
and we won that game. And that was the first time I've ever seen a Hail Mary work. I was like, wow, you know. So that was probably the most exciting moment, uh, you know, as a player, just seeing something like that happen. It was really cool. The original Mike Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually like Mike Thomas. <laughs> yeah. I've, I followed him when he played in the NFL, and he had some pretty good years when he when he played and, and when he was healthy. Yeah. When he was healthy, yeah, yeah. because he he fought so many injuries, and players don't last that long. Offensive linemen do, believe it or not. Uh, there are quite a few offensive linemen. Uh, you look at Jabrickashaw Ferguson. Jabrickashaw Ferguson had nine years in the NFL, and then he retires at the age of thirty because of the whole CTE. And that's what I want to get Thomas into too, with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I really wanted to get into conversation with you about that. We've interviewed a lot of ex NFL players. And a lot of them have talked about the CTE situation that the NFL mishandled. They really mishandled this when the stories were coming out. What were your thoughts when you when you saw the movie concussions, when you knew about the story and what the NFL was trying to bury and, and really bury it under the rug because they didn't want to uh, pay for their mistakes when this story came out? What were your thoughts to the CTE situation? Uh. <clears throat> I mean, look, man, it's a threat. It's a threat. It's a threat to the game of football. And that's why the NFL tried to bury it. It's because if there's not like football is a institution of America, it's mm-hmm. not even just a product. It's an institution. It's a pillar of our economy as well. And you feel like the NFL is too big to fail, but there's one thing that can bring the NFL to its knees and, and finish it. If, if it gets to that point and that's CTE. CTE is the biggest existential threat to the NFL as a business, as a culture, as you know, to this, to our own society, that's the biggest threat to the sport. And, um, you know, that is the only thing that can stop a multi-billion dollar machine in deadness tracks. If it comes down to it, because football is an inherently dangerous sport, but also as we've learned, you know, this this uh, degenerative brain disease mm-hmm. that is CTE is pretty much a guarantee for anybody who plays football. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what level you played at. If you play, and that's one of the things that, uh, in hindsight for me, I'm so glad my parents didn't let me play when I was young. Mm-hmm. Because those ones get it the worst. I think those are the worst cases. Mm-hmm. Are the people who play from youth, from, from Pop Warner all the way up into you know, high school yep. and the co- they're finding high school players with severe CTE. Now, Aaron Hernandez, kids, mm-hmm. kids who've committed suicide mm-hmm. from CTE symptoms being a huge factor in that. These are high schoolers, not even like college players. Right. So it's a threat and it's a serious threat. It's not a threat just to football because soccer is dealing with it as well. Soccer is dealing with it. Boxing has been dealing with 100%. it. They just, they just call it being punch drunk. You know, but it really was CTE. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Ben Amalu, he's the one who uh, who discovered CTE. Dude's, you know, he's Nigerian heritage, same as me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this dude has 12 PhDs, and he's the one who put it to the NFL and said, hey, look, this is what's happening with y'all's players. Mm-hmm. And the NFL tried to bury him for it. And, you know, the science was there. It it's, it's being shown. Now you have, in most recent times, uh, Boston University has become kind of the center of the CTE study in uh, the U.S. I'm actually I'm actually going to be a part of a John Hopkins study really? that's going to be uh, that's going to be looking at the brain after football and seeing if there's any point where the brain begins to heal. Good for you. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's something that um 
that's something that they've been in touch with me over the last week to kind of get started into that into their study. But you know, I'm, I, I take uh, I, I do really take very serious the that issue of CTE because you know I know I know guys who are gone because of you know because of the CTE and, and some of the symptoms that it brought into their lives and and these were guys that meant a lot to me mm-hmm. and you know they're no longer here because of in part of the effects from the game itself. So I feel like there is kind of a obligation as a former player to at least educate yourself about it because there are things about you that are going to change and you're not going to know why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of guys went through that and, and spiraled from that. And it became known that it, they were dealing with, you know, degenerative brain disease that was affecting their, their personality, not even just their behavior, but their entire personality. So, um, you know, uh, it's something that I, that I wish the NFL would handle more transparently because there's a lot of things that they don't tell you you'll never hear about but us as former players we deal with it we see how they kind of play these games how they try to manipulate the system uh based on you know their desire to avoid paying more money than they really want to <laughs> yeah. because they don't want to pay money mm-hmm. for the guys who ain't who aren't playing anymore that's the thing that's where it becomes an issue in the nflpa needs to step up as well because the NFLPA is getting paid by the NFL. They get paid by the NFL. So they're willing to cut corners sometimes. Right. And, you know, we, we see that us former players, we see it and we, and we're, you know, and we're and our minds are blown when the CBAs are negotiated and they are not negotiating for better stuff for former, for retired players, because right. you're going to be a retired player soon enough. Right. And you're going to need that shit. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's uh, something that that you know I'm I'm a huge advocate for it because you know they owe us they owe us a hundred percent just you know we help build this game and and I would argue that even in, in my time as a player that era was an era that propelled the NFL to becoming the pastime of of America from 2007 to 2015. The NFL saw substantial growth like it never seen. It's never seen. Even up to this point, it hadn't seen that growth that it had in those times because that's what propelled it to be the mainstream sporting product uh, product of the of, of America. And now it's even becoming an international sport. 100%. The NFL is about to is about to start an international division. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have four new teams in the NFL that are only playing that are only in in international uh, in an international division outside of the U.S. That's coming in the next five, 10 years. That'll be here. So, you know, the people who set that stage, who set that path, put the put the league on that path, who are the players? The players before anybody, I would say. Fuck the owners, all that. It's the players who set that path. I would say they need to be taken care of. And it's not just me. It's going to be for guys like Patrick Mahomes in five, 10 years. He's going to be retired. You know what I mean? He's He's going to need to have those benefits. You know, Josh Allen, this is another guy, 10 more years probably as a player. He's going to be needing those benefits. You know, every era of players becomes former players. Mm-hmm. So they're going to need to be taken care of. And the NFL will will turn their they will turn their eye. They will turn a blind eye. The moment you are the moment you sign those papers saying you're retired, they'll be out. You won't hear from them ever again if you let them get away with that. You know, and a lot of a lot of players are very educated on it now. And they and they and they make sure that they take care of signing up for their line of duty benefits, their permanent and uh, total, uh, their PNT benefits, 
their, um, you know, get their accredited seasons correctly accounted for, uh, pension, uh, you know, post post career insurance, which only lasts five years, right? Which is utter nonsense. Everything is so, nonsense. Everything is nonsense. You know, We've uh, let me tell you something, Uche. Every single NFL, ex-NFL player, NFL player we've interviewed, I have backed them up 100% on the CTE situation. The stories and, and the crap that the NFL tried to push under the rug, Roger Goodell should be ashamed of himself. He really should because you're right. You guys were the face of the game. You're the one who transitioned the game. And and the fact that the NFL turned their head, they turned their backs on the players that retired once they signed that sheet. Taba Ali, we had him on the show. And Taba did yeah, not want to. Yeah, yeah, we were the same we're the same generation. Yeah. I played against him in college. And I became very state. I, I, I became very close with Taba Ali. And I brought this same conversation up to him. And he he didn't say it. He didn't want to throw the NFL under the bus. He did not want to do that. But he said the NFL should be taking care of the players. The players are what made this a national globe and made the game nationally, uh, you know, um, it made it the pastime. Yes, it's the pastime. It, it, it was baseball. Yeah. But now it's football. We own Sunday. We own the weekend. You Thursday are, to Saturday. You Thursday own to sports. Sunday. What are you talking about? Sunday. Yeah. You own the, the sports world. I mean, the NFL is the, the fastest growing billion dollar organization in professional sports. They are. They yeah. are everything. Now it's becoming international. Like you said, they're going to be international teams. But a matter of fact, in England, uh, they're selling out 80,000, 85,000, you know, yeah. state 85,000 people. Wembley is there. packed every year. I, yeah. remember, I remember our, we we were the first, I think yep. the first or the second you year yep. of the international series. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mean, it was awesome. Not going to lie. Playing mm-hmm. in London was awesome. Like that was an amazing experience. And I have family out there. So, you know, I, I was able to, you know, be out there and, and know people and have, you know, people I can link up with. But it was just, it was an amazing situation. The NFL has made a lot of right moves in, in the marketing of the product of football, mm-hmm. no doubt. But behind that, you got to take care of the people who really 100%. are the are the catalyst for the success. And that's the players. Did nobody come to see the owners <laughs> or the coaches? <laughs> Nobody's wearing coaches' jerseys. 100%. Nobody's wearing coaches' headsets out there. They're, it's the players they come for. So, you know, make sure that on the back end, you know, I look at I look at the NBA. I have my cousin was a, a top ten pick in the NBA draft when I was oh. playing. Ike Diagu. Oh, I know so Ike. He, went from, uh, he oh. came from Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Uh, sixth overall pick in two thousand six, yep. Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. And you know, me, I actually ran into Ike. Uh, I ran into him. We went. We we. I'm, this is the first time I've seen him probably in like three or four years at a wedding. Uh, a couple like a month back, and me and him were just talking and. He, Dude, is NBA still paying for everything? Yep. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, man, NBA take care of us. <laughs> you know, this is a guy who played like maybe four or five years in the NBA. He was a tweener who was just a couple years too early before the tweener period of the NBA started. Where, oh, where I, guys, I remember that, yeah. Where power forwards could play at the three-point line. He was that guy right before it happened. So he was just a, maybe a year or two early as a player to miss that generate, miss that, that transition to the next generation of, of, of power forwards. But, um, you know, the NBA is taking care of these guys and he's been retired for longer than I've been retired. Right. And he's good. He still plays. He plays, you know, internationally for Nigeria on the, on the national team, but 
there there's a completely different level of 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 care for them compared to a sport in the NFL that is you know is while the NBA is 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 popular and it's big, the NFL is the most popular. A hundred percent. And you mentioned you, know? you mentioned too, like the, the players that weren't as weren't retired as long as some other ones. Uh, we also had Jarvis Green on back in February as well, who mentioned the same Fantastic thing. Fantastic interview. And he was saying that they're even they were even giving like selectively different players the benefits first before him, and like they didn't retire. Yeah. And they, they retired after him, or they didn't play as long as him either. So that's yeah. Oh just no, dude, mess. look, yeah. the NFL is dirty. Post career, they were dirty. They they uh they they used racial uh, assumptions within the medical community. Race uh race what was it called? Race uh, uh ra- basically it was redlining. It was it was the same right. thing as redlining, where they set a line and say this is the ceiling for black players. This is the most we can give them compared to white players who got what more. What a crock of crap. I, what a and this was stuff that the medical field doesn't even use these techniques anymore because they're discriminatory and they're outdated. And the NFL was using those those strategies in determining who was approved for their for their disabilities. What a crock of bull. So now they've had to retroactively go back because they got sued. Because it was like, yo, this is evident what y'all did. So the NFL very quietly was like, okay, okay. And they went back into guys that they had been denying and started approving their 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 packages. And you know, I, I guess in a way, it does it changes how it exposing what they do in that regard makes it a little bit easier for the players because for a period after that, they just approve everybody it because makes, you can't you can't deny it. It makes me know. it makes me hate the NFL even more as an organization and everybody that listens to this show. The NFL will never hire me as an analyst. Never. Because of what I have done on my national radio show. I have attacked them on on the FM dial. I have attacked them in everything they've done. And if Roger Goodell wants to come on the show and, and argue it, he will never do that because we're not big enough for him. And even if we were big enough for him, he'd be scared. He'd hide under the rug because that's the type of person that he is. And he'll have nothing to say. Can't, he can't control that. He can't control that environment. That's mm-hmm. why he would, he would never do it. Yeah, but you want to know something? He doesn't want to be asked those questions, man. And, and no. That's, and you want to know something? Thing, man. That's a guy that's making $45 million a year. His family has medical for the rest of their lives. Of he has his own freaking plane. Are you kidding me? The NFL is giving him his own freaking plane. This man can't can't reach out to the families and the players that have no benefits, that have no more money because they never had enough had enough NFL career or didn't have enough, you know, in the NFL. There's so many guys who never even got their pensions. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I remind people when they talk about, oh, football players, y'all make all that. I'm like, look, you're talking about like 10% of the team. Mm-hmm. 10% of the team is making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The rest of these guys are interchangeable cogs. That a lot of them, you know, are, are on their fourth or fifteen by their third year. Yep. And and you know, and and I've seen situations where guys are held out of games just because they don't want them to get that get that last game to be credited, so they can't be on the practice squad anymore. They tried to do that Krogowski with his money. Remember that last year, and Tom Brady yeah. went back on the field and he made sure he got that extra million dollars because he knew that if he wasn't on that field, there was no way Gronk was going to get that extra million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I remember a situation as a player, Bobby McCray. Bobby McCray was a defensive end for us early in my career. He went he went from Jacksonville to New Orleans, got a Super Bowl in New Orleans. 
he had uh 2007 year we had again our first game against the Pittsburgh Steelers he had three sacks in the first half if he had one if he got one more sack in that game he'd get two million dollar bonus wow he didn't play the rest of the game (laughs) oh my god you know like they pay attention to those to those to those parts of your contract and this was a situation where you know they kept him from getting the money that he should have been getting for the for 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 an exceptional an, an exceptional day of football you know and there are guys who are only going to play 3 or 4 years and they'll be done and one of those years is a practice squad year so they need to get those first 3 games yep. to get that accredited season to be able to get the most minimum pension and there are actually GMs who will make sure they don't get that, who will keep them from getting that because they want to keep them. They don't want that guy to be exposed to other teams because they like the guy's talent wow. and they want to keep, be able to keep him on the practice squad until they really need him. Despicable. And, and that, you know, and then they end up cutting the guy and the guy didn't end up getting picked up by anybody else. So he actually missed an opportunity to have his pension, to have his 401k, you know, all these things that he's going to need later in life. To deal with, you know, not only, you know, shoring himself up financially because he didn't make a ton of money because right. he only played a couple of years, but also to shore himself up from a from a medical standpoint to an extent. Mm-hmm. He's because he's not, you know, if you don't get that 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 uh, that that three year credited seasons and get your pension, then you're not eligible for line of duty benefits. You're not eligible for uh, insurance benefits. You're not eligible for uh, permanent total disability. Or any of the psychiatric uh, benefits that they give you mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, get a get a therapist and things like things of that nature. They don't, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not, you're not, you're not able to get any of that. You don't get none of that. <laughs> and if you don't get that, like you still put in a ton of work, a ton of work. You're still did a lot of damage to your body, and you have to handle that. You have to pay for it, and that's rough, man. That's not fair. No, it's not. That's not fair. Especially on that line, well, too. Know. Like we were talking about Henderson and Stroud earlier, too. And Paul Spicer on the other side was a good defensive end. They, he would have strived on oh, that. Yeah, he was spiced, able to play the whole yeah. season. Yeah, that, that was you guys had a nasty defensive line, and statistically speaking, that would have been a a big benefit. So that's 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 so bad that they would do that kind of thing. That ownership. I don't know if it was the ownership, the GM, whatever it was on Jacksonville, but yeah. Oh, it's uh, general man. It's yeah. it's GMs because I mean they put these these things are in your contract as not likely to obtain. Wow. That's, That's what they're in your contract as. If you get these, we're going to give you this much more money because they're not likely to obtain that. It makes your contract look better. It makes you kind of gives you a little motivation. Hey, I want to get that. So, of course, for, for instance, with mine, they had all AFC honors. Okay. Well, I got those in the first, I got those the first two years of the contract of my of my second contract. So I got all the act. I activated every part of my contract <laughs> within the first year of having the new deal because I was I played every play. I didn't have to come out. So. um you know, I got, you know, uh, uh, all AFC honors three years out of f- three out of four years, I believe three, two in a row. And then a third one a year after that, um, for AFC South and, you know, and that, that gave me all the, uh, you know, basically gave me, it bumped my contract up an extra $5 million. So I was like, bet, <laughs> um, thank God. But again, like these things are still. You know, it's still a league where even with the five-year extension, they don't want you to get the whole five years. They no. only want you to get like three or four of those years. And then they, because the last year, you hit them over the head. <laughs> you know, the last year is when you get the backloaded part of the contract. And, 
you know, and that's they pay attention to all these numbers because they they for I mean, look, man, it's a it's a business, right? So they're looking to keep as much profit as they can as much in their in their uh, salary cap as they can uh, in order to. You know, put it towards free agency. Put it they're towards pricks. You know, draft. They're pricks. I, I, like that, that's all I'm going to say about them, Uche. They're pricks. <laughs> the NFL have been pricks since day one. Since uh, really, it's all about money. It's all about endorsements. Look, look what they're making. Yeah. Look what they're making right now with the Super Bowl. Every single commercial, it's like it's going up a million dollars every single year for one commercial. I mean, last year a Doritos commercial cost uh, cost Doritos to pay the NFL for one commercial six and a half million dollars. Are you kidding me? Where Where's all this money mm-hmm. going? Where is the money going? So it, it, to me, it's going into Roger Goodell's pocket because that's what he's all about. Every single dollar, every single penny he's getting. So I am just tired of what the NFL has done. They should be treating their players with a little bit more respect. And I, I just eventually the players are going to have to stand up because this can't keep on going. Look at Patrick Willis. Look at all these players that are retiring because they don't want to deal with the consequences that they're dealing with and what other players are dealing with year and year after year after year. It's disgusting. It's mm-hmm. despicable. After watching concussions and seeing what they did to Will Smith's character, Dr. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. But Dr. Amalu. Amalu. Bennett Amalu. Yes. Who, who I, by the way, I met him at a concussions event out here in Long Island. He's a very nice guy. Very sweet mm-hmm. guy, and what the NFL tried to do to him was absolutely despicable. I so, mean, they tried to bury that dude. I mean, only thing they could have done worse to Ben and Amali was try to assassinate him <laughs> because they tried to do everything else. Yeah. But, but they even had it. It where, was crazy. They even had it where you're seeing now some players retire after playing only like two years in the league because they just want to play and they're just worried about the symptoms. Yeah, I mean, Chris Borland well, was a there's great guys. There was a linebacker from the from the Niners. Chris Borland, I was going to mention him. Yeah, he played one. Oh, he was fantastic. Man. Dude was he was like the heir apparent to Patrick Willis. Yep. And he said, "No, nah, I'm going to go ahead and hang it up." Mm-hmm. Because I think he got a concussion and he was like, "No, no, 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 no." Because that that was that's a scary. I've had I had a concussion uh 20 in 2011 or 2012, I believe. And I mean, it's it's something else, man. Like, they still tried to get me to play the last game of the season. I'm like, oh. no, there's no way. Mm. Like, I can't even, like, look at a computer screen for, like, 20 seconds. I start v- vomiting. Oh, God. Like, God. you know, and I actually, you know, I took, you know, I took it super serious because it was like, you know, this is, dude, you're, this is your sixth year, like, sixth year in. These Don't let these cats put you on a path where, you know, you end up going out there before you're ready. You already have, I already know, I have a couple teammates who who were knocked out on the field for split seconds. They didn't even realize it. And they get up and, you know, we're talking about it the next day in, in, in meetings where he's like, man, bro, I, I don't even know what I, I don't even know how to do. Like, I didn't even get hit, but I just blacked <laughs> out. And then I came and I woke up sitting on the field and then I just got up. The play was still going. So I just got up and kept running. But, you know, I paid attention to how long it took me to recover. And, you you know, you're in the protocol until you can get past your baseline test that you took before, you know, the season started, before you went to any OTA practices. They do an actual, like, battery of tests to see where you are from a cognitive standpoint. Right. So my baseline, which is like, you know, let's say, you know, your baseline's halfway on, on the chart, halfway up between 100 and uh, 0 to 100 at 50. I didn't get past 50 for four weeks. Wow. We were in the off season by the time I passed to get out of the protocol. We were two weeks into the off season. So I knew then I was like, if it, if they say I had a mild concussion 
And it took me four weeks to pass this test. It took like three weeks for me to be able to sit there and even finish the test <laughs> because I would sit on the, cause they have the test on the computer and I would sit there and I would start taking the test. Then I just start sweating. Mm. Then I start getting nauseous and dizzy. And I mean, they'd be like, get up, you're done. You, you can't do it. And I would just, you know, this is an independent dude just sitting there watching you take it. And he's like, no, no, no. Once you start showing symptoms, you got to get up because you can't, you can't continue the test. So I couldn't, you know, for like six, six days, I couldn't even finish. I couldn't even finish the test. Wow. So, you know, by the time I was able to finish it, I wasn't passing it. And then you just slowly start to, and, and I felt like I was okay. But at that point, cause now we're about three weeks in, I feel like I'm all right. But then you realize that you're actually like still like eight, nine points under the, under the, the, the threshold. Mm. So even as even feeling like you're normal, you're not normal. Your brain still isn't working at the same speed and efficiency that it was because it hasn't recovered yet. So when you see a guy like Tua go down with two concussions in five days, I would assume he's done for the season. He has to be. Yeah. Because a third concussion in one season, you're putting your life in danger now. It's crazy. You know, and that's where that's where people think because culturally this concussion thing was kind of made uh to be a trivial thing. You know, I think, and I say that because, you know, back in the 90s, when you have guys like Troy Aikman, Steve Young, these guys going down on concussion, knocked out unconscious on the field, and then seven days later, they're starting. And, you're, and, you're, and we didn't know, you know, we as, as, as fans, we don't know that this dude's brain is still really injured. Right. And he shouldn't be out there, but he's out there. And then what happens then? You know, boom, you get touched and he's out cold. And that, and then it just gets worse from there. And then, then the guy has to retire because you can't keep taking those kind of, you can't keep having those concussions. And when the hits become less, when the hits are are less violent, but still causing mm. just as much damage, your your brain is is being pushed too far. Mm. Well, so you know, we really appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, just your 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 take on CTE and what's going on in the NFL and, and what you're doing to try to protect yourselves and other players from going through it, I think it's amazing. I, we want to stay in touch with you. We want to get you back yeah. on the show very very soon because uh, yeah. I want to get more into this. I want to get more into your career and some of your thoughts of what's going on in the NFL moving forward. This has been a really crazy season with so many. Crazy things going on. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. for, for the AFC to the NFC, and everybody thought how dominant the AFC was going to be, but the NFC has been a little bit more standout than the AFC. It's really been crazy, and, and who knows what's going to happen before the season's end. So we would love to get Great. you on the show again. Uh, you're fantastic. Uh, keep up the good work and, and keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Hey, man, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Uh, best of you know, best best wishes heading forward. Thank you. As uh, we're now we're, we're getting into the holiday season now, so you too, man. Uh, you and you guys. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank we you. will you talk too. to you soon, Speedy. We'll stay in touch with you. We really appreciate you joining us. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on social media. Um, you know, on YouTube, just look my name up, Uche Winery, and that my channel will pop up uh, on YouTube. I mean, I'm sorry, on uh, Twitter, I'm uh, Chukwu77, C-H-U-K-W-U-77. And same thing on Instagram. Uh, And you can find, or you can, you know, if you really just want to check out what we do as far as my show goes, just look for Lyman Life Live. And uh, and you'll see uh, the show that me and a former Atlanta Falcons guard, Justin Blaylock, we both do a show together. I know Justin. uh, During the week. Very nice. 
Very nice. But uh, like I said, I'd love to get you on the show again. Speedy will be in touch with you. Uh, just fantastic. Great takes, especially with CTE. Uh, I, all the different uh, athletes that we've had on the show, they some of them just try to keep it like mediocre because they don't want to throw themselves under the bus. But what you mm-hmm. what you stand for and everything that you've been doing to try to help out this tragic situation, I think it's amazing. Keep up the good work, my friend. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. Y'all have a good one, all right? You, yeah, too. you too. Former, former NFL superstar. I, I think superstar. Seven years in the NFL. That's a star, man. Seven years as a guard. Oh, played, yeah. played how many games? 106 games. Barely missed a game. Uh, a, a great player, guard, uh, Jaguars guard, Uche Warneri. Fantastic interview. Really was. Oh, yeah. Uche's fantastic. He's beating great yet. Yeah. Great yet. So now let's bring him in. Our pal, Mr. Derek <laughs> Mountain. What's up, Derek? Did you guys just see the end of that game or what? <laughs> uh, we've been watching it, man. And I, I will say this. Why does everybody attack Carlson Wentz as much as they do? What is up with people? This is not. Oh, he's oh he's very hurt. He's very hurt. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that he's on the field is because he wants to show Ron Rivera he's an idiot. Okay, we were count. We were talking about his numbers. We had the beef on the show the other day. We were talking about his numbers. If you look at his numbers right now, he's a top fifteen, top fourteen quarterback in the league. The way Ron Rivera threw his quarterback under the bus, he should be fired. The way he's thrown his owner under the bus, even though his owner's a complete ass. Uh, the fact that he's done that, I'm surprised he still has a job. Yeah, uh, he's just setting up once to be the scapegoat. Uh, I, I don't know what else that could be. I understand the sentiment of what Rivera was saying, the full quote, but in the context of the NFC East, which is what was posed for the question, it was compared to the year standing in the NFC East, what do you think? To why do you think you're in last place right now? And he immediately goes to quarterback. Are you kidding me? I mean, come on. In the same division as Daniel Jones, as well as he's played, Daniel Jones and Cooper Rush for now. I mean, come on. That's <laughs> unbelievable. As much as I like to so mock Wentz, nicely. I know he's better than Jones as a Giants fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you like to mock Wentz now as an Eagles fan, especially especially since the greatest moment still of the, the artificial crowd noise era during COVID. The Eagles' artificial crowd noise booing him in game one. <laughs> Moves to seven and zero in Thursday night football tonight. He's a Thursday night football legend. That oh, uh, that's saying a lot for Moose. That's <laughs> for saying sure. he's reverse Monday night cousins. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carson Wentz, he played hurt and he, he didn't have one of those great games, but at least he went out there and he he put up a game where they won. So that's what you expect your quarterback to do. He might not have four hundred yards. Uh, Matthew Stafford, look at the season he's having. And everybody, uh, he won a Super Bowl a year before uh, this year. So, uh, and, and everybody keeps talking about how great of a quarterback he is. This guy, he's done nothing but put up good numbers. Over there in Indianapolis, he had 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and almost, almost 3,600 yards last year. He, it wasn't his fault on why they lost. I mean, some of the games, some of the mis- mistakes that he made, yeah, I would say he was half of the reason or quarter of the reason why they lost. Not the full reason. The fact that they're throwing this kid under the bus because their offensive line is absolutely horrific and horrible and, and the reason why he has a bad shoulder and he's shaking his hand every single down, that was disgusting. Despicable. Ron Rivera should uh, honestly, if I was Carson Wentz's father, I would have reached out to Ron Rivera and told him to shut his mouth. I mean, it's disgusting. 
It, it really is. And this guy put his body on the line to try to get this win and try to stay in the hunt of that NFC East, which has been miraculously, crazily, crazily good. I mean, seriously, the Giants are four and one. The the Cowboys are four and one. The Eagles are the only undefeated team, five and zero. Oh. The only team right now that doesn't have a four and one or or a four and two record or whatever the heck you need is the Washington Commanders. What's their record? Two and four. Two I mean, four. that's not bad. So it, it's been pretty pretty unique when we were talking about how bad the NFC East is. And how good they've been, really, so early in the season. So, it's been unbelievable. It really has been. So, um, we're going to go quickly through week five and, 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 and talk about some of the games and our thoughts on all the games. And then we're going to do our picks of the week. Are you ready? By the way, Absolutely. By the, way your, uh, our, the records last week, uh, Derek, you were 8-8. Eight and eight. It's not bad. You were 500. Terrible. The Browns uh, let you down. By the way, Derek. Oh, oh uh, man. By the way, Derek, you have a lot of fans. A matter of fact, one of the guys that keep asking about you is Kenny. Kenny absolutely <laughs> loves you. Oh, I love Kenny. Yeah, got he, to chat with Kenny last time. Yeah, he loves you, man. He, you, you have a new fan. So oh, uh, he always awesome. tells me. He love always, Kenny. Man, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he's like, yo, that kid, Derek, you know, he's the master. He's, <laughs> he's the, he's the uh, pick guru. What does he call him? Uh, he called no, him something. Not with picks. Definitely not, not with picks. Well, he likes your thoughts of what's going on in the NFL and and some of your uh, some of your quotes on some of the things that you said about certain teams. So. Kenny's very well renowned. Remember uh, yes. Mark Patterson, the ex wide receiver, the mountain climber we had on the show too. But after Kenny called right before him. He was mentioning Kenny all throughout the interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. And you were eight and eight. Speedy was ten and six, and I was twelve and four. So I'm I'm gonna I'm probably gonna start pulling away because. As of last week, because you're going to be doing your picks, we're, we're starting from last week, and we're going to find out what our records are going to be at the end of the year. And uh, I, I have a feeling, you know, last year I, I, I kind of destroyed Speedy, right? No, you destroyed me. It was you and Jeff that were close yes. last year. So I, I'd like to see it. Listen, you're 8-8. Eight eight. I have a feeling that this week is going to be a pretty good week for you, okay? I, I really I do. I hope so. I, I need really it. do. I need it. All right, so why don't we go through the game, Speedy? You're going to call the games. We already went through the Giants game. Yep. We'll go through each game of last week, our thoughts, and then we're going to do our picks of the week. You ready? All right. We'll start with the aforementioned heartbreak that I mentioned. The Cleveland Browns just falling to the L.A. Chargers at the end of that 30-28. to Jacoby Brissett throwing a pick in the end zone and uh, – they get a stop because Brandon Staley decided to be reckless to go for it again. But uh, the Chargers offense definitely looking back uh, so far. Austin Eckler had hit one of his best games so far in his career, really. I got the tough Browns run defense. Uh, and Justin Herbert really looks healthy again. The Browns offense hanging tough, though, in certain games. But they got to get it done in close games. Go ahead, Derek. What are your thoughts of that game last week? Yeah, I mean, Speedy covered it with... Just a really, I mean, Brissett has some of those uncharacteristic interceptions, but in the red zone, I mean, he he's played a lot of football games at this point in his career. I uh, that was a shocker. Just seeing a vet like that—that's something you expect something like Justin Fields to do. Maybe a younger quarterback who hasn't been in every situation yet, but that was a real. Then going back to the Staley thing, I get you want to be aggressive, but I think there's a time and a place for that. He was just begging to lose that game. Yeah, I, I really thought that the Chargers put up a really, really good game. And the Cleveland Cleveland Browns stayed in the game, really throughout the game. It was back and forth. It was a gritty game. And it was really the battle 
and, and Justin Herbert didn't have one of those games that, that really stood out. 22 for 34, 228 yards, one touchdown. It wasn't one of those fantastic games by Justin Herbert. Uh, and he's not 100% healthy, Speedy. I disagree with you. And you can see it every time he steps out of the pocket and he moves out and he rolls out of the pocket. But what we saw was Austin Eckler, one of the more underrated running backs in the league. Fantasy-wise, he's fantastic. But people forget how good he is and how small he is. But he's an elite running back in this league. And, and they ran the ball very, very well. And by the way, Mike Williams had his best game of the season. Ten receptions, 134 yards. With all the injuries they have at the wide receiver position, I was so very impressed on Mike Williams and how he took over the game. And, and the offensive line, even losing uh, a, a Staley, Staley for the whole season, uh, a, a huge loss. I, I thought it was, was it, I'm sorry. Slater. Slater, I'm sorry, I said Staley. Uh, Slater, losing Slater for the whole season, losing an offensive lineman that good, uh, I thought was going to affect them. But uh, so much depth that the Chargers have. Uh, they shifted the line, and they played very, very well, even losing Slater for the season. So very, very impressed, and that's why uh, the Los Angeles Chargers pulled off a very close win against the Cleveland Browns. All right, next game, tale of two halves. The Minnesota Vikings hold on to beat the Chicago Bears 29-22. They were up 21-3 and almost blew it. The Bears took the lead, but then uh, Kirk Cousins took over on the with his legs a little bit late in that game. But, uh, yeah, the Bears, they've hung tough in certain games this year. They lost tonight, obviously, but their second-half defense has actually been very good. They actually were the uh, until tonight, I think they were the leader in terms of least second-half points so far. So I'll give Matt Everflew some credit on that, despite how bad that offense is. That offense is still abysmal. But the Vikings are still very good. They were able to mentally overcome. They lost a lot of close games last year, and now they're winning them. Yeah, this was probably Fields' best game. of Definitely this year, one of the best games of his career. The second half, he was on fire. Uh, he was getting rid of the football on time. He was throwing with anticipation, something that he didn't carry over into tonight, unfortunately. I was really excited to watch and see if he could build off that. Couldn't really do that, but he just has no help. I mean, the touchdown run that was called back on a very questionable block in the back by uh, Smith Marced, what a tough game. But, uh, man, that like that, he, he just got something special to him. I, I will not quit on Justin Fields. I love his traits. I love his mentality. He's a really tough kid. It's just they got to get him some help. Honestly, I think Justin Jefferson, he's a fantastic wide receiver. I think the forcing of the ball to him all game long, I think it's going to wind up nipping them on the butt, especially if they make the playoffs. Teams know that they're going to force the ball to Justin Jefferson. They have so many weapons, including Adam Thielen. Adam, Adam Thielen had four receptions for 27 yards. That's not going to get, get, get it done against the better teams. You saw what the Eagles did to Justin Jefferson, and then at the end of the game they were using Thielen. You're not going to win games that way, especially against good defensive teams. I expect them, as the season progressively moves forward, that – Kirk Cousins needs to get his head out of his ass and start throwing the ball to the other players on the field if they expect to win or even be a Super Bowl contender. They beat a team, the Chicago Bears, that are not a good team, as you saw tonight. Justin Fields has nobody to throw to. I am not high on Justin Fields, but I agree with you, Derek, that they need more weapons. They need to help this kid out. And, and maybe they don't get him. Uh, maybe they get him in the draft next year. Or how about this? Maybe they just go after another quarterback and they trade Justin Fields in the offseason. Who knows what they're planning to do, but this organization is, needs to get their head out of the ass and try to give this guy some weapons or make a trade at the trade deadline or maybe reach out to the Jets and get Denzel Mims. That would make some sense. I have no idea what this organization is doing. 
All right, next game, not much really to talk about with this. 38-3, to the Bills destroy the Steelers. Uh, as Shane Howell mentioned yesterday, the Steelers might be picking the top five of the draft at this rate. There's really nothing, one. nothing going for them right now, not even their run game. And the Bills, I mean, they're most talented, one of the most talented teams in the NFL took advantage. Yeah, with the Steelers, I mean, it's really bad right now, but I actually liked what I saw from Kenny Pickett. And I was not high on him going into the drafts. I think he, I thought he was pretty limited at Pitt. He wasn't, he didn't really break out till his fifth year at college i think that's a little bit of a red flag for any prospect but he's tough man he sticks in there he made some he made some big time throws and there were there were no huge chunk play, a lot of 12 15 yard gains working the sidelines and that bill's secondary is legit they were actually healthy that pass rush was absolutely dominant yep. on that steelers o-line and that's kind of just going to be a theme through this year the steelers o-line is terrible but Pickett did a lot more, did, did something with that offense. I know it was only three points, but he got to the red zone, I think, three times. He, there's a drive that stalled on, like, the 22, so basically call it four times. Um, it didn't convert it to points, but it's a Bills. doesn't get easier with the Bucks this week, but I think they're a little peskier with Pickett under center. I think Kenny Pickett is the real deal. And uh, this year, I just think the Steelers have so many weaknesses, offensive line weaknesses, wide receiver weaknesses. Johnson can't catch the ball. Uh, Claypool can't go deep anymore. I don't know what's going on with this team. Harris isn't healthy. Uh, T.J. Watt isn't 100% healthy, and that's why the defense isn't playing as well as everybody expected them to be. And Fitzpatrick needs to learn how to shut his mouth. Taking shots at the Jets last week, saying that we lost against a team that they're better than, and then going into a Buffalo Bills game where they didn't even show up to the game. I'm sorry. I, I, if I was that organization, if I was the coach of that team, I would pull Fitzpatrick to the side and say, listen, shut your mouth. Go out there and play the game and just play the game as as the way you played when you were in Alabama and the way you were a top recruit when you came out of high school. This kid should not be opening his mouth. And by the way, Kenny Pickett did stand out in the game. And the only reason why I watched that game was watching the growth of Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett is the real deal. They're going to be a top five uh, team when it comes to picks. Uh, the, everybody was questioning, do they go after a quarterback or not? I think they're going to stick with Kenny Pickett, and I expect him to either trade out of that pick or draft the best running the best running back or best wide – I'm not the running back – best wide receiver or best defensive lineman available at that position. All right, a wild one in New Orleans. The Saints winning against the Seahawks 39-32. Uh, defense a little concerning with the Saints. Supposed to be one of the better units coming into the year, but has had their struggles in recent weeks. But their offense was able to take the load. Taysom Hill, a weapon they really haven't used as much as they should have, finally has a big game in this one. And I think that's good for the new coaching staff to try to be able to figure that out because of all the receiver injuries. Go, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the Seahawks are kind of the, uh, the lead pass team. <laughs> if you give that to the Seahawks in the NFL, I mean, they give up a million points, but they score a million points. Every single week, they're absolutely crushing their point totals. I think they're 4-1 on overs, but the last couple of weeks, Geno Smith, everything's just really come together for the pass game. It's looked really, really nice. It's a shame Rashad Penny's out for the season, but Kenneth Walker stepped in, 69-yard touchdown. I mean, you see the acceleration. You see the burst. I think he's going to be a special football player for them, and I don't think this is that he's making two or three throws every single week that are kind of eye popping. And they, they really jump off the screen. Uh, the one that he dropped in a bucket past two saints defenders that uh, post touchdown to Tyler Lockett, that deep touchdown. I mean, that's special stuff. I don't know. I'm loving what I'm seeing from Gino. I, I, I'm almost, I, we're, we're robbed of, of 
prime Geno. He was behind Eli Manning and Russell Wilson these past five or six years. I mean, hidden gem for all these years. Who knows? Listen, I mean, he is. looks awesome. This guy loves Geno Smith. I wish he wasn't yeah, a giant. I mean, Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. Geno Smith has looked better than Russell Wilson. I'm sure Russell Wilson wishes right now he's in Seattle. Seattle actually has two good uh, two uh, good tackles now uh, that they drafted in the first round and in, in the fourth round. Uh, they are third round. They're showing up, and they finally have an offensive line that can protect the quarterback, and it shows. They did lose against the Saints. Uh, the Saints did not have a good game. I think the Saints have a lot to worry about. That defense that was supposed to be high-flying and top-notch, have not really looked good in the secondary. A lot of penalties. Uh, we don't know when Marcus May is come, coming back after giving him the three-year extension. I don't know what's going on with the Saints. But what we do see with the Seattle Seahawks is they're playing for Geno Smith. Maybe Geno Smith is the quarterback of the future of this team. Maybe they need to help out that defense that was once one of the best defenses in the league. But I, I like what I see. I think Seattle is going to challenge every single team they play this year. And I agree with you. I think Walker's going to be a stud. That's why I have him on both my fantasy teams. Go Walker, baby. Go Smart. Walker. Uh, another blowout in the AFC East. The Patriots destroying the Lions 29-0. Surprising. Yeah, I, I was surprised too. I thought the Patriots would win, but I thought it would be close. And uh, no DeAndre Swift for Detroit finally bit them offensively, the, uh, the previous high-scoring offense. But when the Patriots went back to their old-school game plan, shut down Amon Ross St. Brown. They just double-teamed him the whole game, and the Lions really couldn't adjust. Jared Goff's always had trouble against the Patriots' defense in his career, including the Super Bowl too. And the Patriots' offense, we'll see if it's a sign of things to come, but the Lions are the worst offense. So I wouldn't jump the gun yet. Or defense. Yeah, I, I agree with the Speedy. I think them and the Seahawks are definitely bottom two in the league right now, just yeah. from what we've seen the first uh, five weeks. This was a little bit of a deceiving score, I think. Uh, the Patriots outgained them by 50 yards, but the humble six really swung things here. It was 9 nothing. The lines were driving here. It still could have been a, a ball game. Uh, they scored zero points, and they had six drives within the 35-yard line. I don't know if I've ever seen that. They were 0 for 6 on fourth down. They have the fumble six. <laughs> Jared Goff throws one or two picks. I uh, He threw one pick. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, just what could go wrong went wrong for Detroit. Uh, beat him up late. Ramondre Stevenson was a monster in the ground. That Patriots O-line does look really, really good. Um, so, yeah, a little bit deceiving. I'm not necessarily high on the lines, but – they, they've been competitive the first five weeks. I know the record's bad, and we said this last year, but I think there are things to get excited about if you're a Lions fan. The Patriots have been very quiet, and they've been winning with a third-string quarterback, and now they have their starting quarterback coming back in Jones, uh, where the heart of their schedule where it's going to get a little rough when they're playing AFC East teams that they're, they're supposed to compete with this year. But uh, very surprising that they knocked off the Lions 29 nothing. I would love to be in that locker room when Campbell was talking to his team uh, because this team, where everybody thought they were going to be competitive every single game, to put up a lousy goose egg against a Patriot team that's not 100% healthy, playing a third-string quarterback we never even heard of, to me, was embarrassing. So uh, the Lions have a lot of work to do. I think they have some good weapons. I think their defense is a lot better than it showed on Sunday. But they better show up this coming week because if they don't, uh, you know, Campbell might be looking for a new job in the offseason because uh, this is uncalled for. After watching Hard Knocks and, and seeing what the players believe in this, the defense has been bad, and this offense needs to show up in the big parts of the game, in the, in the heart of the game. And Jared Goff, who I gave so much compliments the last couple of weeks, 
uh, what is he doing? I mean, seriously, the throws in the in forcing the ball in 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 areas that made no sense, and everybody knows that Bill Belichick loves to go after these quarterbacks when they don't know where they're throwing the ball. So. Uh, that's my thoughts of the game. All right, the last of the AFC East blowouts, the New York Jets, 40-17 to over the Miami Dolphins. A big day for Brees Hall. You picked the Jets, too, I think, Derek. I no, did. Derek picked the Dolphins. I did not. No, Derek picked oh, the Dolphins. I should, just, I should just continue to pick against the Jets because they're 2-0 now. Yeah, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. But, yeah, but yeah, the, uh, the, the Jets took advantage <laughs> of the, uh, the slot game plan. I think Zach Wilson did a great job spreading the ball around in that area. And uh, Shane Howell was saying yesterday, Brees Hall looking like that potential top five running back, the way he played both rushing and receiving in that game. Uh, defensively, I know, granted, they had a third-string quarterback, the Dolphins, but still did a great job against the wide receivers, though, too. That's a good sign for the Jets. And Finally, I know Miami's offensive line isn't great, but finally getting some level of pass rush going has to be a good sign. Yeah, you said about Brees, and, and he, he's exciting. He's electric. I think this this draft class could be really, really special for New York between Sauce, Jermaine Johnson, Brees, Garrett Wilson. I mean, you got a lot to be excited about with the Jets and Garrett, Garrett only played, I think, 50% of the snaps. They kind of unleashed a lot more C.J. Uzama, did a lot more heavy personnel, wanted to really establish that ground attack, that play-action pass game. And I think they did enough. I wasn't wowed by any throws, but it was enough. And for a second-year quarterback, and as, as raw as he looked last year, and he didn't get any of those training camp reps coming off that injury, I, I think it's smart to ease him back into it like they're doing and Put a little bit more on his plate each week, so I'm excited to see how he progresses throughout the year. But Sunday was a good, was definitely a good uh, progression for for Wilson. Here, here's the numbers that you have to look at. And Josh Allen last year, the the year where he broke out was his third year, which was last year. the The second year, he started to start to move in the right direction. Zach Wilson right now in his first two games is second in the NFL quarterback rating. That shows you that he's not forcing the ball in areas that he's going to put himself into trouble. He's accurate, and he's making the throws that he needs to make, and he's letting everything open up for him in the field. He has weapons. He's not forcing the ball into spaces that make no sense. That's all I'm going to say about this game. The defense played well. Quinton Williams looked like a beast of a man, throwing you-know-who know, throwing, uh, you know around in Tyreek Hill and looking like a waste paper basket. And, and really, uh, the Jets are – if the Jets win this week, maybe the Jets are for real this year. Maybe they are. So I, I, I think they're one year quick than I think they're going to be. I think it's next year where I think the Jets are going to start being a powerhouse team in the AFC. Uh, but maybe they're moving forward. Maybe Zach Wilson and, and some of the weapons that they added in the offseason really transition this team uh, as young as they are. So – Go Jets, baby. All right. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the Atlanta Falcons in a very controversial win, 21-15. to They shouldn't have won this game. Yeah. The Atlanta was robbed of a great potential comeback attempt on a terrible roughing the passer penalty that was called on Grady Jarrett. All he literally did was roll over after, after he sacked Brady. There was no reason that should have been called whatsoever. Uh, Atlanta's defense continues to be very pesky. They're doing a very good job, in, especially in that secondary. Uh, Chris Godwin looking healthy again, though, for Tampa. That's a good sign for their offense. I still don't trust their team offense, though, as a whole. I still think they have some concerns absolutely do yeah they uh this was a really weird game they jump out to the 21 nothing lead they're moving the ball up and down the field 
but a lot of a lot of drives stalled in the red zone. They were two for five in the red zone. Uh, that's definitely a cause for concern. The O line is just not nearly as dominant. The, the, the downfield passing game that the last two years, I just don't think they can really trust Brady to sit back there, sit back there, and let those plays progress and work down the field now. And they still have, when they're healthy, probably the best receiving core in the league for my money, but. Nothing's really working down the field. Chris Godwin's catching everything, it seems, three to eight yards. Mike Evans, maybe he gets a fade ball, a back shoulder ball every now and then. But there's no seam balls that Brady has just made a career off. The Bucks' offense is definitely missing that. Ground game's not nearly as consistent. So I think these are real concerns. And as Speedy pointed out, I mean, the Falcons' defense is pesky, but they, they were stalling in the fourth quarter. I mean, the Brady was really pressing. It was surprising to see, and I, I don't consider the Bucks the juggernaut that maybe we thought they were going into the season. I agree with you. Everything that you said, and I think that the Bucks have a lot to be worried about uh, going into the the heart of their schedule where it's going to get a little difficult. I, I think they're in a lot of trouble. And, and by the way, that whole Tom Brady, that divorce situation, uh, I think it's definitely affecting his game and the way he's playing. So... Uh, I it, I do believe this is his last year, and now he's getting a divorce, and he's dealing with all the other stuff that he's going to have to deal with. I think it, it definitely has affected his game. All right, next game, the Tennessee Titans edging out the Washington Commanders 21-17. There's really nothing to talk about this game. Not much, not much to talk about with this game. <laughs> I really, honestly. Ron Rivera's an idiot, okay? He opens his mouth at the end of the game, blaming their quarterback when they, were, they lost the game by four points. Uh, Derrick Henry is a beast, okay? That's all. And and that's yep. how the game turned out. Derrick Henry, 21, the commander 17. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> all right, the last of the 1 o'clock games, the Texans, pesky well, against the Jaguars, 13-6. to six. Well, the Jaguars, what well, we thought they were, they're officially back now. They're back to being a terrible offense again. The Jaguars. The classic Jaguars finding their ways to lose against the Texans. We talk about the Colts losing. It's the Jaguars at Jacksonville. Well, this is the Jaguars kryptonite. This was... I, I was buying into the Jaguars hype. I'm not, like, not going to lie to you. I, I love Trevor Lawrence. I love this defense. I love Doug Peterson. They absolutely abused the Texans this game. 422 total yards to 248. 5.8 yards per play versus 4.4 on the Texans. Horrible in the red zone. The over 3 in the red zone, the pick that Trevor Lawrence had on that second and goal was one of the worst throws you're going to see of this season. Why was it? it? It's just... It's too many boneheaded mistakes with Lawrence. I mean, the highest, the high highs, the, the Chargers game, I mean, that touchdown to Marvin Jones, it just throws that you see a couple guys make in the league, but the boneheaded stuff, he, it's just, it's really frustrating. But as we said with Zach Wilson, stuff takes time and they put a lot on his plate and he's really, really confident in his abilities, which is a, definitely a blessing and a curse in Trevor's case. And the receiving core, there's there's just no juice there. I, I think Kirk's an exciting slot receiver, but he can't be your number one. I think ETN's a nice little water bug in the backfield. A water now, bug, I love it. <laughs> they don't they don't trust him though. I mean, clearly there's a disconnect there. He's he hasn't taken control of that backfield. They they still bulk of the reps to James Robinson and, and I like Robinson, but he's coming off that Achilles. He hasn't looked the same, so I mean, it's going to take some time. I mean, Lawrence is just, it's a roller coaster. He's really volatile. Some weeks it's going to look really, really good, and some weeks it's going to look like last week. 
I love that that saying, the water bug. Go ahead, Speedy. <laughs> All right, next game is the uh, the 49ers blowing out the Panthers 37-15. to Again, not much to say about this game. The Niners' defense still looks like the best in the league right now. I will say this, though. This is the first time since Debo Samuel really broke out as an elite wide receiver that they were taken away from him, but it did not affect the rest of the team offense. And I, I give Kyle Shanahan and the coaching staff credit on that, finally using those other receivers and running backs to the best of their ability. The Panthers might not be a great team, but they are a good defense, and they made that work. And cost Matt Rule his job. Nebraska. <laughs> Mark it down. Yeah, nice. I will say this. The 49ers are, re- are for real. I think they're the most dangerous team in the NFC. If you want to you wanna pick a team to beware from, if, if the 49ers get into the playoffs, you do not want to play them because I think their defense is for real. They can run the ball. They don't even have their top running back right now. When he gets back, this team is for real. Watch out for them. I, I think they're dangerous. So. All right, next game, the Dallas Cowboys destroying the L.A. Rams 22-10. to Not surprised. This looks like the 2020 Rams, not the 2021 Rams yeah. uh, this year. This is going to be a defensive-reliant team. Their defense has still been very good, but their offense, especially on that offensive line, looks like a mess. Cooper Cup's still playing great, but that's it right now. And the, they have to find some level of a running game. They have to find some level of an offensive line because they look like they're one-dimensional. Sean McVay, I mean, his play calling and his audibles are fine, but they, he can only do so much if those guys don't produce. And Matthew Stafford, obviously, with that arm injury. Speedy, you could spit it out because we got to go for our picks. I don't know why you keep dragging it. You, you could say a couple of lines. You don't have to tell us what happened in the game. Yeah, Derek. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he covered a mess. Uh, funneling the ball to Cooper Cup is not an offense. As, as, as good as he is, it's not an offense. It's not working week to week. Something has to change. I, I would agree with you. And, and by the way, Matthew, uh, Matthew Stafford is hurt. Uh, it, I mean, it's not blind to see there's something wrong he is not throwing the ball and they're running the, they're trying to run the ball and acres absolutely stinks now i think they need to find themselves a yeah. running back or play henderson more because he ever since his injury is not the same all right last of the four o'clock games the your your eagles derek hanging on to beat the cardinals <laughs> uh, 20 to 17 it shouldn't have even been that close though the eagles it's i think not pretty I think the Eagles' defensive game plan was very good against Kyler Murray. I, I was surprised they were able to do it considering it's a base defense. And the offense got it going in the first half. Kind of stalled a little bit in the second half. Uh, the Cardinals figured it out with their blitz scheme, but was able to hang on. And with some help from uh, Cliff Kingsbury, not knowing what a first down is, and deciding to spike the ball, but able to hang on and win that one. Good for the Eagles. They're 5-0 and now, only undefeated team. No, they got bailed out. Like you said, with that inadvertent spike, Kyler needs to know the situation there. Really hurt when Kelsey left the game. Landon Dickerson left the game. They were without Mylotta. Uh, Arizona likes to mix it up their fronts and blitz more than pretty much anyone in the league. I think that really threw the Eagles off when all those linemen left, and they just deferred to screens and running the football, and they got really, really conservative. And all those guys have been practicing this week, so hopefully we can get back to the offense that we saw the first month of the year. I, it wasn't even that close. I know Kyler Murray ca- tried to keep it close. I think the Eagles are just that much better than the, the Arizona Cardinals. I think the Eagles are for real. They're the best team in the NFL. Anybody who argues that is a bunch of idiots. Uh, I, I think Jalen Hurts has proven that he is an elite quarterback in this league. He's an MVP candidate. And when when the game needs to be brought to him, he, he has found a way to win those games. So uh, Jalen Hurts... Is the real deal. I think he, if the season were to end right now, he's my MVP. Uh, this team has been fantastic. 
That's all I'm going to say about that. All right, Sunday Night Football. The Ravens beating the Bengals 19-17. to The Ravens prevailed in the battle of the weaknesses. Their front has been struggling this year, especially that pass rush and the Bengals' offensive line. We know how bad they've been, but the Ravens were able to get a- enough pressure to be able to rattle Joe Burrow. Uh, missing T. Higgins definitely hurt that offense, and Joe Mixon continues to have some trouble this year. A lot of that has to do with the offensive line. How about line, Tucker, too. man? Oh. And Justin Tucker, cementing Fantastic. his legacy. That's actually the greatest kicker oh. of all time. No, not the greatest kicker of all time. Who do you, who do you have? No, no, he's the goat. Oh, okay. He is. Okay. Not even close. Absolutely. He's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, Derek, really... you're up. Yeah, I mean, the offense is – it's not growing pains. I think this is for real. Uh, they've been – they've hit the on 10 straight games now, dating back to last year, all five this year, each playoff game, and then a couple regular season games last year. I mean, the offensive struggles are for real. Uh Defenses are, are just taking away the explosives. They're not going to let Jamar Chase beat him down the field anymore. They're not. They're taking that away, and the Bengals don't have an answer for that. The O-line is a mess. They can't run the football consistently. It's ugly. Mm. I would agree. That's All right. it. So, uh, Errol and I kind of went over the Monday night game already with the Raiders and Chiefs. What were your thoughts, Derek? The Raiders played a perfect, perfect I game. I agree with and you. And it was not enough. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I mean, it, it's – they – their backs were against the wall. They had a, they produced a perfect effort. They didn't turn the football over. They had that fourth and one conversion that kind of just flipped the odds for them. And it still wasn't enough. I didn't hate the two point conversion call. I, I, I would have kicked the extra point, but I understand the aggression. I understand the way McDaniels is thinking at arrowhead victory that you're not supposed to get. Uh, but it wasn't enough. I still think Devonte Adams should get that catch. And then Carlson comes in the game and knocks in the game winner, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, that's a tough break for the Raiders. How about how about not leaving Travis Kelsey open for four touchdowns? How's that sound? How the yeah, hell? I'm... How the hell do you you know he is going to get the ball in the red zone? How do you leave that guy yep. open? How do you leave him open? Four touchdowns in a game. Four. Embarrassing. <laughs> Embarrassing. That's all I'm going to say. The Raiders that was there for the taking and and they gave the game away when all they had to do was stop Travis Kelsey. That's it. Mistake. Yeah. Embarrassing. All right. All right. I guess uh, we're on week picks six picks. Derek, hopefully this is your redemption week. You can find something. We'll start yeah, with the, I need it. I need it. We'll start with the Let's Ravens at the Giants. Well, hold on. Who, well, who did you have tonight? Uh, Washington and Chicago. Commanders. All right. And there you go. I'm One and all. Integrity. Commanders. One and all. There you go. I had the Commanders. Very good. All I right. told Speedy before the game. He's. Uh, I asked him. I said, who do you have? He I had, had yeah, Chicago. I had, I had Chicago. Speedy had Chicago. I had Washington. Yeah, they impressed me last <laughs> week against the Vikings, but. Not carried over. All right. Uh, Ravens at the Giants to start the first game. Um, I'm a Giants fan, but I'm not trusting them this week. I'm taking the Ravens in this one, especially since what they showed against the Bengals. They could get pressure. The Giants line still not very trustworthy. The Ravens know how to stop the run. I don't think that Saquon Barkley... Saquon Barkley will have that same effect in this game. I think the Giants will contain Lamar Jackson for a while and keep it close, but I think the Ravens will run away with it late. I'm going to say 23-13. Go ahead, Derek. I'm also, I'm also going with the Ravens. I'm going to go 28-16. I saw pretty wild and surprising stat. Lamar Jackson, highest passer rating in the league against the Blitz this year. Who blitzes the most in the league? The New York Giants, Wink Martindale. He saw Wink Martindale the first three years of his career every day in practice as the Ravens DC. Lamar knows that defense inside and out. I think he's going to bounce back from last week in a pretty big game against the Bengals. I think the Ravens roll here. I think it will be close early in the game in the first half, and then I think they pull away. I think Lamar Jackson's the real deal. Like you said, Derek, I think 
He knows Wink Martindale. He knows what he likes to do. He knows this defense. And they don't have the weapons to stop Lamar Jackson. I don't think they have the speed to get to Ma- uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think I think the Baltimore Ravens win the game 20, 28-17. I, I think they pull away in the second half. I think this defense, uh, the secondary, actually shows up in this game. And what's going on with Kyle Hamilton? Does he really have his head so yeah. far up his ass? I mean, seriously, this guy was a top safety. Everybody was comparing his skills to some of the greatest safeties of all time. And the guy has been an absolute bust so far. So uh, maybe he wakes up this week. All right. The second game, 49ers at the Falcons. Uh, Obviously, I'll take the 49ers to win. But I actually think it'll be closer than expected because of the way the Falcons defense has played in recent weeks. Uh, They're secondary. Hayward and Terrell, very good duo. I think George Kittle, this is the big game he has receiving because now – the Falcons traded Deion Jones, so they don't really have as much with the linebackers now and the safeties over the middle. So I think this is his big game. But I'll take the 49ers to win. That defense is too good. I'll say 2010. I'm also going to go with the Niners, 24-13. I do not like this matchup for Mariota and that Atlanta O-line. I think Arthur Smith has done as good a job as you can at piecing it together. But they are just punching up here. They have not seen a defense caliber of San Fran. I mean, that front seven is insane. Mm. I think they just dominate and cruise in this one. So give me the 49ers to roll here. I think it will be close. I really do because I I think when they go to Atlanta, we've seen the 49ers in Atlanta over the years. They have not played their top games in Atlanta, even under uh, our favorite guy in Kyle Shanahan. I do believe they're going to win the game. They're going to be able to run against Atlanta's defense in this game. I also believe that uh, uh, a couple of uh, players like Ayuk, I think he's going to get open in this game. I think he's going to explode. So is Kittles. I think they win this game 34-10. to 10. All right, the Patriots at the Browns. Uh, I'm going to take the Browns in this one. I think it'll be close. I, it's weirdly two offenses that have been very interestingly good but bad at times, too. Who but do you have, the Patriots? I have the Browns. Okay. I think I, I think it'll be close, but I think the Browns, unlike a lot of the other teams the Patriots have done well against, don't really have one guy you could take out. We've seen them try to take out tight ends or running backs and not work the same, so I think that'll end up making a difference. But Cleveland secondary has had some issues, too. So I think it'll be close. A lot of field goals in this game. I'll say 23-20 to 20, Cleveland. I'm also going Cleveland. I'm with you, Speedy. Everything you said, I just like Cleveland's playmakers more. You take away Chubb, you still have Hunt, you still have Amari Cooper, you still have Njoku, who's kind of coming to his own way this year. He's looked really, really good. Um, I mean, Bailey Zappi, it's been fun, but I'm not going to put my trust in him to go into Cleveland and win that game. I think that's a tall task for him. So give me Cleveland here, 27-20. Well, they don't know if Zappi might not start in this game. They're saying that uh, Jones could be back this week. It's a game-time decision. And if he is, you guys might be changing your picks. But, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Cleveland as as long as Zappi is in behind center. If he isn't and Jones finds a way to play this game, I think they could pull off a win going into Cleveland. I think Bill Belichick knows what it takes to win in Cleveland. He used to coach in Cleveland. And I think he understands – where you know how he has to keep up with the Jets and keep up with Miami and keep up with that division because that division could pull away that fast with uh, the talent that they have in that division. But I have Cleveland in this game. I think they show up in this game. And remember, it's getting close, and very very soon we're going to see uh, you know what coming back. And uh, if they could keep somewhat 500 football, mm-hmm. they could be dangerous in the final say final f- five six games of the season where they could be a borderline playoff team. So watch out for the Cleveland Browns. I have Cleveland winning this game 
a 20 to 17. All right, the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts, playing for the second time this year already. Uh, I'm still going to take the Jaguars. I, I really don't trust a lot of the Colts' defensive players. I know they played well last week against the Broncos, but who hasn't played well against the Broncos this year? So uh, I think Jacksonville, with their running game getting going a little bit, and deep down the field, you were talking about Derek, the Trevor Lawrence stretching the field a lot more. I think that'll make a difference. I think it'll be close. I'm going to say 27-21 Jacksonville. Me and Speedy, we're, we're on the same page with all these picks. I'm going Jacksonville. I just think they're going to beat them up. The Colts have so many bad players on their offense at different spots. I mean, Matt Pryor is still probably going to be the left tackle this week. He's been absolutely terrible. Um, Jonathan Taylor was a limited participant in practice, but he's coming off a high ankle sprain for a workhorse running back. I just don't trust that that O-line, um, I, I still think there's going to be issues on that offense. I trust the Jacksonville front, so I'm going to take Jacksonville here 20-60. to 60. I don't trust Jacksonville in this game. They're going into Indianapolis. Indianapolis needs this win. Uh, if they lose this game, Indianapolis is completely done. They're not making the playoffs. Uh, they need this win very, very badly. I think Matt Ryan will put up a decent game, 250 yards, two touchdowns. I, I, I do believe Taylor will play in this game. He'll be an end, you know, a red zone type of player. I don't think they're going to give him the uh, the the top end running running lanes that they usually give him because of his high ankle sprain. And I, I do believe they're going to do enough. Pittman has a big game to win this game. Give me Indianapolis at home, twenty one fourteen. All right, the New York Jets traveling to Lambeau Field to take on. This the is going to be interesting. This is going to be a very good game. I'm tempted to pick the Jets, but I'm kind of with you guys. What you've been saying about Aaron Rodgers not losing two games in a row, and I think if there's anyone that could decoy away from Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, it could be Aaron Rodgers. Just attack everybody else and make that kind of thing work. I think Aaron Jones in the receiving game will be big. We saw the 49ers do that, or the Packers do that a lot against the 49ers with that system. I think that's going to be a big difference in this game. I can't imagine the Packers defense playing this bad again, uh, even though the Jets definitely should have a lot of promise on offense. So I think it'll be close. I'm going to take Green Bay 23-21. to 21. I'm also going with the Packers. Aaron Rodgers off a loss in his 46-19, a 71 percentage, pretty respectable. With Matt LaFleur, last week was their first time losing in back-to-back -back weeks. They're 10-1 now, awful loss. The Giants are the first team to do that, to break that trend, which is crazy. But, yeah, I, I just don't see the Jets upsetting them in Lambeau. I don't see Zach Wilson going into Lambeau, taking over this game yet. Um, I think that's a really tall task at this point in their kind of rebuild. I think Green Bay cruises here. I think they're going to – it's going to be a game for them. I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have a chance to dominate on the ground, kind of get back to their roots, what they looked like in the Chicago Bears game. Um, I'm going to say 31-13 Packers. I think the Jets win this game. I, I really do. I think the game is going to be very, very close. I, I know everybody thinks because I'm a Jet fan, I think this way. And I, I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to have one of these games. Aaron Rodgers is coming off an injury. His thumb isn't 100% healthy. I think if the Jets can get to him and put pressure on him and, and get into his face, I think he's going to get scared. He's going to try to use his legs more. And the Jets are going to put him in a position where he could fail. I think the Jets are going to be able to run against this defense. Every team has so far this year. And their secondary, I don't know who's going to stop Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and, and the weapons that the Jets have. I think the Jets have more than enough opportunities to get the points. And who is going to throw against this, this, uh, this defense, this secondary? The Jets, Gardner and DJ Reed have been the best duo in the NFL all season long. 
It's been fantastic. The safety play hasn't been good, and Aaron Rodgers will try to attack that. But I, I believe there's not enough weapons that are going to be able to do that. I think the Jets win a very close game, 17-16. It will be a field goal game throughout the, throughout the game, all the way to the fourth quarter where the Jets uh, get a touchdown. All right, Miami, uh, Minnesota Vikings at the Miami Dolphins. Uh, no status yet on Teddy Bridgewater, but it does not look like he's going to play. I was going to take the Vikings anyway, regardless. Even if Tua was playing, I was going to take the Vikings. I just like a lot of the matchups in this game. The, the Dolphins have struggled against the run. Yeah, their pass rush has done well, but I think Dalvin Cook is a big game in this one. And I think the conceptual use with Kevin O'Connell using those three receiver, three receiver depth, I think they could take a lot of what the Jets did last week. I think it'll be closer than expected. I think Miami hangs tough for a while, but I'm going to take the Vikings 31-20. I'm also going with the Vikings. Skylar Thompson's looking like he's going to get the start. He was kind of slinging it in preseason. Mm -hmm. I know he didn't look good. He did not see any reps with the ones during that week. It was all about Teddy Bridgewater gearing him up. With a week of prep with those receivers, I think they're going to do some damage. This Vikings defense is not a dominant unit. The edge rushing tandem between Hunter and Darius Smith hasn't really got it going. I still think they're going to be able to put up points, but I'm going to take the Vikings here. I think they're going to outlast them. Xavier Howard's back. But he's coming off a groin. I think the soft tissue stuff is really tough. I think Jefferson's thing. I think Thielen's going to do his thing. I'm going to take the Vikings here, 31-27 in a sneaky shootout. <clears throat> I got the Vikings too in this game. I, I, I just I don't trust a third string quarterback. Thompson will have the week to play with the start the starting uh, wide receivers like Waddle and Tyree Kill. So I think they'll have better games. Uh, something they didn't really have against the Jets, maybe because of the corners that the Jets have, or maybe just they don't have the the time on the field to practice together. Uh, but I think this whole week they had enough time with Thompson, so I think they're going to score enough points to keep in the game against Minnesota. And being that it's in Miami, uh, I think it will be a very, very close and very, very hot. But I think Minnesota's the better team. Jefferson will have another big game. And I believe Adam Thielen will break out this week and have one of those games that really stand out. I think this team is much better than people Make them out to be, being that they're 4-1, but people forget how good Minnesota can be this year. I think Minnesota wins this game on a very, very close game, 24-20. All right, next game, the Cincinnati Bengals at the New Orleans Saints. Joe Burrow back in Louisiana for the first time. Unfortunately for him, the Bengals' offensive line is still bad, and the Saints' pass rush is really good. So I'm going to take the Saints in this one. I know their defense really hasn't been as good as expected, but still question mark with T. Higgins and still a question mark with that running game that with the Bengals. I just really don't trust it. And they're too talented, I think, to be this bad for so long. Offensively, I don't think they'll be as good as last week, but still will be just enough, good enough. I think this is a lower-scoring game. I'm going to take the Saints in this one. I'll say 20-14. to 14. Me and Speedy, same page. I'm also going with the Saints here. I This is not the get-right game for the offense. Dennis Allen, defensive head coach, he switches up coverage as much as any any head coach, as much as any defensive coordinator. Uh, a lot of two high shells, a lot of disguising coverage, disguising blitzes. This is the stuff that has given Joe Burrow and this offense fits. I Everyone has been really high on the Bengals to – for Burrow and Chase to go back into Louisiana and kind of have a get-right game here, I just don't see it. I, I think this is going to be a defensive slugfest. Two defenses that played pretty well. Um, so I, I got the Saints in an upset here, 21-20. Oh, I, I think the Bengals need this game, and I think if there's any quarterback to show up to a game and go into Louisiana and win the game, it's Joe Burrow. 
I've got the Bengals in this game. I really do. I, I don't trust the Saints. I really don't. Their defense isn't any good. Their secondary, when they play against top wide receivers, we've seen Lattimore play very, very well. I think Jamar Chase has a breakout game. I think he shows up in this game. I think he has 150 yards, two touchdowns, and has one of those breakout games in front of his fans and his friends. Give me the Bengals in this game. I think it'll be close, uh, but I think they have the better field goal kicker. So 27-23, the Bengals. Shock the world. All right. last, I don't know about shock the world. Yeah, we'll go that far. Shock Louisiana, okay? <laughs> yeah, last of the one o'clock games, the Bucks and the Steelers. Not much to say about this one. I'll take the Buccaneers in a pretty bad blow. Number one defense going against that pathetic offense of the Steelers. I'll say 23-3. to three. Yeah, I uh, I kind of felt like this was a weird rah-rah spot for, for Mike Tomlin. Huge home underdog. He's never been a touchdown underdog at home in his career as the head coach. He's just never been in the spot. I kind of think we might be giving the Bucks a little bit too much credit, mm-hmm. but they have not looked good. Brady's going to use this as a get-right spot. The Steelers' defense without T.J. Watt has just been an utter mess. I think they're going to get right. The receivers are kind of still getting back in a groove, but you have Godwin back for the third week now. You have Evans. You have Gage. Um, I think they're supposed to get back Cam Braid. So I'm going to take I'm going to take the Bucks here, thirty to fifty. I think this game could be very very close and could come down to the wire. But the Bucks are the better team. I don't know what's going on with Pittsburgh. I think Pickett will have another game where he shows that he could play. Uh, I just don't know if they have enough weapons to contend against Tampa Bay, even though it's in Pittsburgh. It will be rainy. It will be disgusting on Sunday, which could benefit the Pittsburgh Steelers in their kicking game. But again, Tampa's the better team. They have the more depth. And with Evans and Godwin actually 100% or getting to 100% healthy, they're going to be very, very, very dangerous. Give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 24-20. Uh, I would say 24-18. How's that? All right. I, I, I think it'll be a lot closer than people think, but the Buccaneers win the game. 24-18. We're going with a Kenny score here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. First of the 4 o'clock games. I think there'll be a safety in this game. Uh-huh. All right. Carolina Panthers at the L.A. Rams. Uh, I think this. Is, I think the Rams win, but I think it'll be closer than expected. I think the Panthers will play for their interim coach. Nah, they didn't, a lot of those players did not like Matt Rule and that defense, that pass rush. I think they'll be able to feast a little bit on Matthew Stafford. J.C. Horn's under, uh, quietly done a great job this year as well, so I don't know if Cooper Cup has the big game he does this year. I think it'll force Stafford to spread the ball around more. I think the Rams will win, but they'll win it late. Close game, 2017. I was so close to picking the Panthers here, and I, I just can't do it. But the fact that Baker Mayfield is not playing, P.J. Walker, I like the fact that he can run around a little bit. He throws the football down the field. He kind of funnels the ball to D.J. Moore when he's played. 7-0 and as a, as a pro starter. 5-0 in the XFL, 2-0 as an NFL spot starter. I think he gives him a little bit of juice, but I'm going to take L.A. here. But it's going to be a gross game. I mean, I think both defensive lines have a huge advantage here against two very subpar offensive lines. I think this is going to be a hard game to watch, but I'm going to go L.A. here 20-19. to They eke it out at all. I think this is a blowout by the Rams. I think they blow out the Panthers' defense. I really do. I think finally they show up to a game and they put up a big spot. I think Allen Robinson has his breakout game with the L.A. Rams. I think they'll be able to run. The ball with Henderson, I think they're going to hand it to the Beast, not Akers, who is flat-footed or whatever the hell he is. Uh, maybe he has his finger up his ass. Something's going on with him because there's no, he's not right. But I, I like the Rams in this game. I think it's a blowout. Uh, give me the Rams 35-15. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Cardinals at the Seahawks. Uh, I think I'll, I'll take the Cardinals, but again, closer than expected. They've won in Seattle a lot, and Seattle's been pesky. I think they can run the ball. I, your guy, Kenneth Walker, Errol, I think has a big Woo! game in this one. He has the Cardinals. Give it to some, me, Kenny. Cardinals have had some 20 trouble. 20 points, baby. Card, I think he'll get that, definitely. Cardinals have had trouble stopping the run, but the problem is the Seahawks secondary still isn't great, and it's about time these other receivers are going to get going. I think Rondell Moore had a nice game last week against the Eagles. I think Zach Ertz as well as a nice game as well. So I think the Cardinals win a kind of sloppy one, but high scoring enough. I'm going to say 23-20. I'm also going with the Cardinals here. Cliff Kingsbury in his career, 17-11 and 11 on the road, 9-17-1 at home. That one to me a little bit weird, but they seem to play up on the road. I usually love to take a home underdog in the division, but I'm not going to ride Seattle here. I think they've been punching up a little bit as much as I love Geno Smith. I think they're going to regress a little bit here. I'm going to take the Cardinals here 34-24. to I want to take Seattle in this game. I really do. But if Arizona loses this game, they're done too. They need this game so very badly. I think Seattle is going to play them tough. But I think Arizona and Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray is going to use his legs today. I mean today, on Sunday, he's going to make the plays that he needs to do with his legs, something that he hasn't done all season long. If you if you have him on fantasy, play him, start him. I expect him to use his legs against this horrific front seven, and I mean bad, okay? Seattle's defense has been horrible. Give me Arizona in this game. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball, even though they, they he forces the ball to Hollywood Brown every time you see him look down the field. So I, I have no idea what's going on with Kyler Murray. I think he – I don't know. If, if Kyler Murray plays the way he's been playing this year, that contract is an utter debacle by the Arizona Cardinals. I, I, I love Kyler Murray. I, I think – I don't know what's going on with him. He's horrible. Uh, okay, so – um, I have Arizona in this game, 17-10. Mm-hmm. All right. Possibly game of the week candidate, Buffalo Bills it is. at the Kansas City it Chiefs. It is the game of the week. 425 start. This will not be as high scoring as the playoff game. Both these defenses have been still very good this year. The Chiefs defense very much improved. Uh, this game will be close, but I, again, this is the uh, this is one of those they're in-your-head type games teams with the Bills, kind of like we were saying with the Rams and the 49ers. So I think this will be close down to the wire, but Buffalo, like like Arrows would say for a while, they still have lacked a running game, and I think that kind of thing will hurt them. I think the Chiefs coaching, they spread the ball around better with Mahomes. They'll win it late. They'll win it close. I'm going to say 24-21. I'm going Buffalo here. I know I know it's a little bit their, their little brother here. I know Kansas City kind of has their number. Mahomes is 3-1 and one in his career against Allen, but I, I just – the way Buffalo looked last week, I can't get it out of my head. 10 yards per play, 12 yards per pass. I mean, just stupid numbers. I get it's the Steelers. But what did Josh Allen have? Have a 350 yards, passing yards at half? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just so much explosion. And Gabe Davis actually looked healthy. They get back Isaiah McKenzie. I know the Chiefs' defense has looked a lot better, but I don't expect them to limit them here. I just think Buffalo's pass rush is going to be too much. I think their offense is going to be way too much. I think they cruise here at Arrowhead, which I'm probably going to look like an idiot. Mahomes has never been a home underdog in his career, but I think they go into Kansas City and blow them out. I think it's going to be 38 to 24. And I'm going to, and honestly, I'm going to agree with you. This is the first really pick that we agree with. I think Buffalo is going to go into Arrowhead. They're going to make a statement after what happened in the playoff game and and where where Josh Allen really believes he was the better quarterback. I think Josh Allen has been the best quarterback this year, and he's going to show it in Arrowhead 
on Sunday at 425. This is going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be back and forth, but I, I, I really believe the high scoring is going to come from Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, and they're going to find a running game by Josh Allen. Josh Allen's going to be able to run 80, 90 yards in this game, and he'll have a touchdown on his uh, of his own. Um, I think Buffalo wins this game 34-21. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll save your team for last, Derek. We'll go to the Monday night game, the <laughs> Broncos at the Chargers. Why are the Broncos in prime time again? Please, for the love of God, flex this game. But because this Don't is be surprised. Don't if be surprised. What? If the Chargers win a close game, which I'm actually picking, yeah. I'm actually picking the Chargers to Don't win a close game. Don't be surprised. I'm surprising everybody. I am picking the Chargers to win a close game. Because the Broncos, they don't know what they're doing late in the game. Uh, clock management will be an issue. That being said, their actual offense, I think, will hang tough in this game. I think Russell Wilson plays better because the Chargers defense did show some issues last week against the Browns that I'm a little concerned with. Their pass rush really hasn't been the same. But I do think the Chargers will win. The Broncos will find some way to crumble late. I'm going to say the Chargers win it 26-21. We're going to be on the same page here. I think the Broncos are going to upset him at SoFi on Monday Night Football. I think everyone in the universe is again is fading the Broncos in this spot, and I get it. I mean, there's no reason to back them up in this spot, but their back's against the wall. They have to have to win this game. Russ's reputation is on the line, and I think he really cares about his perception and the way he's thought about. He's had 11 days between his last game and when he'll play on Monday night. I think Cortland Sutton goes into SoFi and has a huge game. I think they lean on him. I think Judy steps up in a spot here. He He's looked really, really rough, to say the least. A, a lot of drops for him this year, but I think he can do some damage over the middle of the field in this game. I think the Broncos go in to SoFi and upset him 24-23. I am thinking that. I've been thinking about it. When I was looking and trying to figure out who I think is going to win this game, being that the Chargers are 3-2 and two and the Broncos are 2-3, and three, the Broncos need this game. They cannot lose this game if they expect to win this division or even be a wild card team. They need this game. So going into L.A., I think it will be very, very close. I think Russell Wilson has his best game of the season. I think he outplays Justin Herbert. I really do. I think he wants to shut everybody up. Give me the Broncos in this game. I think the Broncos win this game. It will be close. I, I think it's 24-23. They win this goal, game on a field goal. Russell Wilson takes this team down when they're losing at the end of the game with two minutes left and gives them the field goal to win them the game. Uh, Broncos win, baby! You guys are score twins, I say. 24-23 both ways. <laughs> All right, we round it out. With Derek's Philadelphia Eagles, the last undefeated team, taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Well, Cooper Rush, it was a good run. But here come the Eagles defense to oh, swarm Oh, there's no you. guarantees that Cooper Rush is starting in this game. Well, I don't, I don't trust I'm just saying. I, I think he will. I think he will. I think Dak will be held they out say one more it's a week. Game time. Yeah, decision. I think I think Cooper Rush plays one more week, and this, and then, then next week when all hell breaks loose in this game against the Eagles, then they'll switch back to Dak next week. I think the Eagles win this one. I think Jalen Hurts against a, a base defense like Dan Quinn's. I think his rushing yard total is going to be very high in this game. I think you're going to get a big game from Dallas Goddard. Uh, the, line, the Cowboys don't have a lot of linebackers that can cover, so I think that's going to be a matchup they take advantage of. And I think the Eagles rush the passer very well in this game and limit CeeDee Lamb with J- Darius Slay. I think the Eagles win it semi-big. I'm going to say 23-10. to 10. I'm a speedy here. He 
he alluded to it with the Cooper Rush injury. I don't think there's a reason for them to rush Dak back here. I mean, they've won four straight with Cooper Rush with good defense, running the football, keeping it simple. No need to rush Dak back into this one if you have a winning formula for the time for us to lose and then get Dak back in there when he's healthier. I've been watching the injury report for this one, and the fact that the Eagles look like they're going to have their offensive line back, the five starters that they had at the beginning of opening week, I think they could beat up this Dallas O-line. As good as they've been, as athletic and fast as they are, I think they could beat them up. I really do. I think it's still an undersized unit on their D-line with Parsons' hand on the ground, with Odigizua, with Well, look Penn. at you with the words. Yeah, yeah, I, that, that was a tough one. Um, I think there's a big Miles Sanders game. I think they're going to lean on Miles Sanders a little bit. He's going to get 15, 16 touches on this one. He's going to get 90 rushing yards on the ground. I think Hurts is going to continue to have success on the ground. And I think they're going to lean on A.J. Brown. They got away from him after the opening drive. He had three catches on the opening drive and then didn't catch a pass after that. They're going to make a point to feed him the ball throughout the game especially take advantage of Trayvon Diggs' aggression. I think he's going to be able to beat him up. Give me the Eagles cruising here at home, 27-13. Here's the reason why I think the Eagles are going to win the game. Micah Parsons is 100% healthy, and and that's going to affect their defense because they ride everything through Micah Parsons and what he can do on one side of the field. I I still – I don't know what this Cowboys defense is without him. I, I'm not a big fan of Diggs. I think he's an all-or-nothing type of guy. And I think against this Philadelphia Eagles team, if you're all-or-nothing, A.J. Brown loves these type of corners to play against. So I, I think A.J. Brown will have a significantly big game. I think Smith uh, is going to show up in this game. He, they're going to move him so so much on the field, especially in the slot where he could kill the Eagle uh, kill the Cowboys in the slot. The, the 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 one position the Cowboys have had problems with all season long is the slot. And why not put Smith in a slot, one of the faster guys in the NFL? I think he will kill the Cowboys, and that's why I think they win. And I agree with you. They are going to run, run, run the ball with Miles Sanders. Uh, I think he has a big, big game. And I think Jalen Hurts shows you why he's an MVP candidate as he throws 350 yards against one of the better defenses in the NFL. I think the Eagles win the game. I think it will be close going into the the end of the third and then in the fourth quarter. Watch out. I think the Eagles defense takes over the game and uh, I think they have an interception. I think a pick six where it just completely controls the game. Uh, give me the Eagles uh, 27-17. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy. Speedy, you could shut the music off. We're very, very close on a lot. You and Speedy agreed a lot in the beginning, and then kind yep. of you started to agree with me at the end. Uh, I, I like to be different, and that's why people look at me and they, you know, when even last week I, I, I picked a lot of things that you guys did not pick, and a lot of the reasons why is I'm looking at the game, I'm looking at the times, and I'm looking at how important those games are. Denver and, and the Chargers, if Denver loses that game, they're done. They're done. Because they can, the Chargers are right now fighting for that wild card spot. They're fighting for the wild card spot, and the uh, the Raiders are done. They're absolutely done. Being that they're what one and four now, yep. there there's no way they're coming back in that division. Not with the Kansas City Chiefs. And look at the other divisions. You have the Bengals fighting for that final wild card spot. You have the Baltimore Ravens playing the way they are. Pittsburgh's done. I mean, Cleveland is trying to, you know, stay afloat until yeah. Watson comes back. If they could stay afloat, 
and, and really, the surprise is the AFC isn't as dominant as everybody thought it was going to be. And the NFC no. is a lot better than people thought it was going to be. I, I mean, honestly, let's go. Let's look at the NFC right now. It, it, it's, it's really, really crazy with the standings. I, I'm looking at it. The Bills are for real. The AFC East is for real. That's a good division. It's probably the best division in the AFC. The Ravens, they're right now, and the Browns and the Bengals. If the Bengals lose this week, they're done. That's why I picked the Bengals. They're done. I, I, I can't see them coming back from a 2-4 and four record. I don't care if they were in the Super Bowl last year. The Browns, they're trying to stay afloat. As long as they're 5-6, five, 5-6, five and, six, five and, you know, uh, you know, six and five, they're they're being they're putting themselves in a very good position when Watson comes back. Uh, Steelers are done. The Titans, I, I'm not even though whoever wins this division, who cares? I, I mean, I would say the Titans going to win the division. I mean, Indianapolis is there. They stink. Even though I picked them to win this week, they stink. Uh, the Jaguars, I think they're overrated. The Texans stink. They're done. The Chiefs are for real. The Chargers, honestly, losing Slater. For the season and losing um, Bosa for a significant amount of time, it has affected them. And I, I do not believe Herbert is as healthy as Speedy thinks he is. So I, I think it's a big problem, and I think it's showing. They're running the ball more than we expected them to do that. And Keen, what's going on with Keenan? Um, Allen. Keenan Allen. Yeah, I mean, he's been having concussion issues. The, the guy hasn't played all season long. I think that's really affect their offense. If the Broncos don't win this week. They're done. So, and then we'll go to the the NFC, which has been more, um, remarkable. The Eagles are 5-0. and The Cowboys are 4-1. The Giants are 4-1. Even the Commanders now are 2-4. and The Vikings are 4-1. The Packers are 3-2. and uh, I mean, even the Bears are 2-4. and And then you have the Buccaneers, 3-2. and Saints, 2-3. and Falcons, 2-3. and 49ers, 3-2. and Rams, 2-3. and Cardinals, 2-3. and Seattle, 2-3. and The NFC... Believe it or not, is better than the AFC again this year. Who would have thought that? Honestly, did you guys think that? Not, not with the way it's structured, being that the NFC East is doing as well as they did. I thought if there was another breakout division besides the West, it might have been the South, but not the East. Never would have thought that. Never. Well, you just look at the you just look at the quarterbacks in each conference too. I mean, the mm-hmm. AFC on paper, yes, Mahomes, Herbert, Allen. Carr was is the worst quarterback on paper in the AFC West. Mm-hmm. Just quarterback alone in the NFC, you go, okay, um, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. A lot of question marks after that. Matthew Stafford, Dak. Then you have Hurts. You have Kyler Murray. You mm-hmm. have Justin Fields, uh, Cousins, yeah. Jared Goff. I mean, <laughs> Baker it, Mayfield. It, it, it's night and day. It's night and day. Yeah. It's it's and you. You look at the AFC, and that's why I gave benefit of the doubt that it's like, all right, if I had to rank the first 15 or 16 teams, the first 10 teams, 70% of them are going to be in the AFC. Just before the season, I'm thinking, all right, most of them are going to be in the AFC. It's going to be an absolute dogfight, especially in the AFC West, but we just haven't lived up to the hype at all. No, and I think the NFC, I think the Vikings are for real. I think the Eagles are for real. I think the Buccaneers are for If the Giants somehow, and I'm going to say this, if somehow the Giants win this game this week against Baltimore, I don't know how anybody can not, not say they're yeah. not for real. I mean, they're for real. And I, I don't think they have a lot of talent. I mean, the Jets are the Jets are one of the better, young, talented teams. They're better than the Giants on paper. 
But the way Dable is putting this together and the team believes in the way he coaches and the the aggressiveness that he has during the game, to me, he's the coach of the year. But not only that, the ta- the lack of talent that they have, and, and say whatever you want about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones hasn't made one really bad mistake in two weeks. That says a lot about the coaching and, and the trust that he has in the quarterback. I mean, it's been remarkable. And your Eagles, I think the Eagles will be undefeated all the way into week eight. I, I think the Eagles are gonna the Eagles are gonna win thirteen games this year. I, I mean, I, they're gonna have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. I if they could stay as healthy as they have stayed, they have been healthy all season long so far. It's hard to believe that anybody in the NFC is going to challenge them, but the Forty ers I mean, I I don't think you, you you saw what they did to the Vikings. I mean, I they completely shut down. Shut down Jefferson, and 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 you know how to stop the Vikings. Shut down Jefferson. That's what Cousin likes to do. Force the ball to Jefferson. Shut him down. You win. I mean, even Dalvin Cook. You have the dominance of running a running back like that, and even Thielen. You didn't do enough in that game against the Eagles. If you do that against the Eagles, the Eagles will kill him even worse. And and Jalen Hurts is for real. If Jalen Hurts continues doing what he is doing. Nobody in the NFL is going to beat them. Not anybody. Because the defense hasn't even played at the top of their game yet. They really haven't. They haven't figured it out. I mean, Jordan Davis, who we think is going to be a beast of a man. What's he have? One and a half sacks so far this year? He hasn't even figured it out yet. Could you imagine when that kid figures it out? (laughs) I, I mean... It's scary how good the Eagles are. And I'm not trying to blow your head up because you're an Eagles fan. Because uh, I like the Eagles too. <laughs> but I watch them every week, even against Arizona. I didn't think Arizona had – even with the game as close as it was and, and Kingsbury, that stupid play call that he had at the end of the game, which could have brought the game into overtime. They didn't have a chance in that game. They really didn't. Even if it went to overtime, I did not think for one second Arizona was going to win that game. Not for one second. So it, it, it just it t- shows me the confidence of what I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of their coach. OK, but when you have this kind of talent, does it matter who's coaching the team? Honestly, I, I, I just think they're 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 really good. Is your brother? I, I remember your brother saying, I think he is an Eagle fan. Your whole family's an Eagle fan, right? Yep. Yeah. Not 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 crazy. Uh, I think we're pretty impartial compared to other Eagle fans like <laughs> Try to be realistic in the process and try not to get too excited. But, I mean, you covered the bases. I mean, it's just the talent's overwhelming, right? Mm. I mean, it's just – it's hard not to get excited. If they go 8-4 and four the rest of the year, that puts them at 13 wins. Mm. And you just – the schedule lines up perfectly for them. It's oh, such yeah. an easy schedule. They still have to play Green Bay, which is going to be a tough game. They still have to play New Orleans, which is usually a close, tough game for the Eagles. They have to play at Indy which in the preseason you thought was a, a really tough game, but it doesn't look tough right now, right? I mean, they should go in there and probably win that game. Other than that, you see a lot of wins. It's Pittsburgh. They're going to the wipe the floor. They split last year. That, mm. I mean, that could easily be a split, I think, uh, just the way Dable has them playing up. But one, you know how big of an advantage it is to be the one seed. I just think that should be the goal for the Eagles. Get the one seed in the NFC. Lock it up, get that home field advantage, get that buy because now there's only one buy. It's not two buys like it used to be. That's such a such a huge advantage in the sport now. Get healthy. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
And if they win, they go a long way to doing that. The the Eagles survived the pattern of the uh, one seeds losing last year, so they, they probably won't happen again. Both one seeds. I <laughs> yeah. I think the Eagles sweep the Giants. I think they sweep the Commanders. The only team that's going to win a game against the Eagles this year is probably the Cowboys. I, I I don't see the Giants beating the Eagles. I don't think they're talented enough. And even though they're surprised, Green Bay don't have the weapons to stay to to pull no. away. The Eagles do. They have weapons all over the field. So it's – I don't think it's even close. Even with Dable coaching that team, I, I just – it's hard to believe that Dable and Wink Martindale is going to be able to stay in a game against an Eagle. The, the fact that Arizona was in that game, and I think Jalen Hurts was playing on a peg leg in that game. He wasn't 100% healthy in that game. He's limping. I, 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 I think for a week, uh, you know, healing up, I – if Jalen Hurts keeps playing the way he's playing, I, I don't think anybody's going to beat him. Not anybody, not Kansas City, not Buffalo. I would love to see Buffalo and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. That would be fun. Oh God, that would be like the most disastrous parade of both teams. That would, yeah, that would be. (laughs) Those fan bases? Are you kidding me? Oh my God! Imagine that that tailgate. That would be fun. Could you imagine that? I mean, the Eagles, who you know, a a team that won their first Super Bowl of all time a couple of years ago with Nick Falls, and then they go into another Super Bowl where they have a chance to win two in in the last six years. Could you imagine that? I I, I mean, and and the Buffalo Bills that never won a Super Bowl, that went to -to -to back-to-back-to-back-to-back Super Bowls with Jim Kelly. Finally, they get to the Super Bowl. I think that would be so fun to watch. Even the Eagles in Kansas City, that would be fun. I want to see the Eagles in the Super Bowl because I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. But Watch out for the 49ers because if they if they figure out, you know, Kittles get healthy and Kittles figures you know gets back into that offense, they could be scary good too. That defense is for real. And and, and Jimmy Garoppolo, say whatever you want from him, he wins. He he really does. He's a winner. He, I'm not a big fan of his, but he wins. So it's <laughs> it could go either way and I I think the two best teams in the NFC, I believe, are the 49ers and the Eagles. I, I do. I think they have the both teams have the best depth out of out of all the teams in the NFC. In the AFC, I would say right now it would be it can, it's three ways, and I, I still think the Ravens are. Yeah, I think the Ravens are still there, and I I think the Ravens just need to figure out how to not make mistakes in the secondary. They're so talented in the secondary, but they've been horrible the last two games. I think if they figure that out, I, I think the Ravens are for real. I think the Chiefs are for real, and I think the Bills are for real. I did think the Chargers were, but with the injuries that they have withstanded, I, I just losing losing Slater for the season, it really hurts when you play on a, these top teams that can get to the quarterback. So, um Bills, Ravens, Chiefs, Eagles, 49ers. Those are the top five teams in the NFL. I think it will stay like that. I think it will come down to those five teams going to the Super Bowl. So, But, uh, Derek, you're awesome. Maybe we'll get you on next week. I love – listen, your your quality of takes of, you know, understanding the PPR and, and, and the numbers and, and, and statistics, I think it's fantastic. You and Speedy are very alike in that – that way you you look at you look at the details of stats and and sometimes it works a lot of people say you know when you look at stats it, it gives you the answer to the games it doesn't but what i i like about you guys is you get into the depth of understanding how the game could go by the way the stats make sense you know but 
Um, you know, that's what I like about Speedy, and I, I think I have that ability too, is understanding the statistic part of the game and, and putting it together and, and making your choices. I think this is going to be a big week for you. I really do. I, I hope so. I need it. Yeah. I need it. I took a lot of curveballs as well as I, I like to. This could be a bad week for me, but I, I have this feeling there's going to be a lot of craziness this week. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, don't worry, the, Jets, the Jets will win because Derek picked against them. Third time's a charm, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I just, I have this feeling that Aaron Rodgers is going to have problems throwing the ball in this game against Gardner and, DJ Reed, which will give the Jets an opportunity to stay in the game. And if they stay in the game, if it goes to the fourth quarter, the Jets are the second best fourth quarter team in the NFL. Who would have thought that? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but uh, Derek, thank you for joining us. As always, you're the best. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It is always a blast. Derek Mountain, I, I think fantastic. And uh, he, his, his takes and understanding, um, of numbers is fantastic. He really is. He's just as good as you, Speedy. The way he goes into numbers and looking at things and categorizes everything, it's fantastic. It really is. Uh, that's why I like him on the show, and I'm not just saying that to blow his head up. He, a mountain of knowledge. A mountain of no- There you go. Uh, you got to put that on. You got to text him that. Derek, your new name, your new, your, your new, uh, what's, what's the word? Slogan. Slogan. The mountain of knowledge. I like that. If you want to jump on the mountain of knowledge, reach out to Derek. <laughs> you got to tell you got to text him that. Anyways, uh, thank you to Uche Waniri, who was fantastic. Yep. His takes on CTE and his uh, his thoughts of uh, you know his career in the NFL, wonderful. Uh, thank you to all the fans that tune in to us every single week. We'll be back next week, as always. Until then, uh, listen to the Weekend Crunch on one hundred three point nine FM. Uh, the Islanders are playing on Saturday, so we'll probably be on yeah. after them. It's the first of three weeks in a row we'll be yeah. on after the Islander game. Right after the Islander game. So tune in, as always. Um, thank you to all the fans again. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good night, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.